is a hose head production. Jeffrey Dahmer soaked in blood. The Unabomber blowing up. Waco, Texas, and Heaven's Gate. Alien modified men from apes. Hitler faked his death and then escaped. Bigfoot and the Mothman. Son of Sam talking to dogs again. Witches, ghosts, and goblins. Mysterious noise and hauntings. Dark guards and the skull and bones. Most celebrities are probably cloned. So when you're feeling all alone, grab a beer and get stoned. I welcome you to the podcast Strange Brew. We're here to entertain you. Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is Strange Brew Podcast, if you don't know, but you're tuning in, so you must know. And I'm one of the hosts, Tomcat, a.k.a. Tom Thompson. And who else is joining me on this strange journey, especially on this episode? Well, if you don't know, now you know. Uh, you know, good old me, Anton. And who else we got in the house? Sober Aaron. Yes, Sober Aaron. Is that like Sober October, yeah, but just Sober Aaron? It's sober for the rest of his life now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty no, much. he's. He, I'm gonna conv- I'm gonna convince him to drink beer. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna peer pressure him like he tried to do to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, don't I think know. you'll be fine with beer. I think just the fact that you know a bottle of wine and an entire bottle of whiskey was consumed in the span of three hours might have been the problem. That's what me and I said to Aaron. I was like, me and Billy have came to that conclusion a long time ago that you can't like drink straight stuff through a whole episode. Cause you can, if, if you're a longtime fan, you'll know this from the beginning. We were drinking 26ers between me and Billy within an hour sometimes. And it's got messy. And that's why there's probably at least like, I would honestly say like 15 to 25 episodes that have been cut. Some are on the Patreon that were worth it and funny content that we did at the beginning. But yes, like a lot of episodes got cut because I'm like, we didn't know what we were doing at the beginning of the show. And we were just getting drunk and talking about everything strange. If you're an even newer fan too, and you remember the St. Patty's Day special, Tom finished one of those by himself in the span of an hour and a half. And two hours and I fell down. And no, so, no, no, no. It was gone within an hour and a half. You just yeah. fell over after two hours. Yeah. So if you're just tuning into this because you've never heard our show before and this one sounds like the go-to, uh, maybe go back. But this is going to be fairly interesting. So I guess to bring it in before I get Aaron's take because he's dived a little deeper even than I have into this. And then Anton is essentially going in blind as an observer. I am the voice of the audience on this episode. So I'm, you're going to get a whole lot of wow. Whoa, that's crazy for me. So, so, uh, I forgot my nicotine. I'll be right back. Of course you did. Um, so essentially, I get a email from this guy, Wild Bill. That's what he goes by. And also an Instagram DM. So I read it and I was like, strange. This guy is a convicted murderer talking to me through jail. He's in incarcerated in Panama. And then so I kind of don't really look into him. Just he says he's a, um, a quint. Was it not not quadruple, um, Aaron? But was it quin quintuple or something like that? Yeah, it's fucking the murderer. He's killed five people. 
Um, William Danith Holbert, and I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, but essentially, I, I messaged him, and you know, we were having a it sounds weird, but a good conversation. I wasn't really diving in deep. I was like, hey, this is kind of interesting. This guy is, I'm starting to realize he's messaging me through <laughs> being in jail. <clears throat> like he's able to somehow, and I'm, he's not going to say how, he's not going to get into details of that. Um, but essentially, he's messaging me while he's incarcerated and he wants to do an interview. Uh, and we talk back and forth. He seems pretty, I told him, even said this, that he seems pretty sane. And because I've studied this and gone very deep, on what per people sound like when they're insane and sane. He sounds and comes across as a normal person, quotations, but really what is normal. So then he was like, essentially wants to do an interview. So I kind of inquired about that. And then Aaron, I told Aaron about it and Anton, and then Aaron started to dive into it. And what did you, what was your first impressions and stuff like that? Uh, really bizarre, actually, I think for somebody who's a convicted murderer, uh, he, he seems to not see himself as a, a serial killer or a murderer or anything like that. Yeah. So quest, uh, question, does he qualify by the Quantico standards? Does he qualify as a serial killer or is he just like, cause, cause like, I mean, doesn't Kuklinski also not quite qualify as a serial killer? Not the, quite, but he's he, killed the cooling. Kuklinski was right. I, I'm not just, saying the, it's not the body count. It's the cooling down period, the berserker period, the, those things. <clears throat> What's the yeah, deal with that? That's a good question, yeah. It, I get, I, you could say that, um, but essentially he's a hitman, which it, I feel like is kind of different because to me, when you're a serial killer, you're doing it out of lust, passion, uh, addiction, even sometimes, even Dahmer's case to me, it was like an addiction. Um, you know what I mean? You understand? Like, cause it kind of was like an impulse. Well, what's, um, what's the thing? The serial killer is uh, a process, a product. Mm hmm. And process and product. I process like and product. So if you're a hitman, you're neither one of those. You're not necessarily, yeah. unless you love killing, you're not necessarily a process killer, right? And you're not a product killer because you're not doing anything with the bodies afterwards for pleasure. It's just... Yeah, yeah it's, this is a very interesting case that we're going to get into. Um, he's actually going to call us for everyone that doesn't know that he's going to come into the conversation, but we're kind of just briefing you on how this is going to go. And, um, you know, for all the people out there, don't, there will be people, you know, that might get triggered quotations uh, oh, heavy from trigger this warning. episode, uh, yeah. because I might ask some questions that I would think normal people quotations, normal again, uh, would ask. Um, and he's going to go in deep into his life. And as I want to say this right off the top, uh, we acknowledge the victims and uh, once we get into the crime, we get Aaron to talk about it. It, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really, sh I've never, I haven't seen a lot of detail on the victims. Aaron, yeah, you went, you went right. research heavy with that, right? Yeah, I did. But I also found that same thing that no matter, uh, how deep I seem to have dug. And even from like the fact that he seems to be quite willing to talk about it on podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's still like, I don't know, this air of mystery behind how all this actually came about and what actually went on and hmm. why. Okay. He doesn't want to go into detail as far as like the murders. I'm, I'm, I think is what he said, but I might ask him some questions. And it's, it's strange that, uh, uh, you know, especially, you know, where in the world he's in prison, you would imagine they wouldn't really be uh, behind the door with like hiding details or anything. I would have thought that they would have completely aired his dirty laundry out. But yes. it doesn't seem that there's like 
uh, a huge amount of information about a lot of it. So it's uh, a bunch of American expats are the ones that he's currently doing time for, <laughs> correct? Uh, it's it's five Americans. We're, we're talking we're talking yeah. strictly about the quintuple homicide, which is the only thing he's actually confessed to. Um, so maybe, and this is just a spitball. America and Panama have always had a very strange relationship. Like the Panama Canal is there, like, and all the other stuff that's going How on. How far America. is this from? Okay, where's like on a map? Where is Panama? Pull it up. Like, <laughs> no, you want I'm me curious. to pull it up? Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, honestly, just for my sake, because uh, like I, I've been just talking to this guy. I talked to him for a full day, and then I told Aaron San Juarez, about it. I was like, Panama, not not Juarez. Juarez is Mexico. Yeah, that's Mexico. That's definitely Mexico. I know what that is. Um, I've never been to Panama. I don't know about Panama. I've never heard any facts about Panama. Um, all I know is that he's in one of the most dangerous prisons. So his name is William Danith Holbert. I hope I'm saying that right. Also known as Wild Bill. is a self-confessed murderer and ex-cartel hitman from Hendersonville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to North Carolina, Anton? I've been through North Carolina. Uh, are you talking about that stripper you met last week? No, North Carolina was in me. <laughs> um, oh, nice. He's currently serving 46 years of the killings of five Americans in Panama. How far is Panama from Canada? And according to the, like, the stuff I've read and looked into, it seemed like he lived like a pretty average life. So in he didn't grow up like in poverty or anything along those lines. It was just a Aaron's dived a little deeper. So let Aaron. Yeah, uh, so Panama's again. off the coast of Florida, so it's uh, oh, so it's not even. Uh, or no, that's I mean that's Cuba, but Panama's next to Cuba, right? I, wow, I fucking didn't know that. So this shows how smart I am about geography. But I you know what I do know. I know where Ukraine is. Um. Anyways, uh, Aaron, go on. No, that was something I was just gonna say. Uh, about that whole thing i couldn't really bridge the gap uh too much between how he managed to have a pretty like uh uneventful like not really exceptional life one way or the other mm-hmm. and how he went from that to ending up in like fucking uh costa rica or nicaragua or somewhere and he's yes. like shoot nicaragua. shooting people in the head yeah i couldn't really understand even from his interviews there seems to be a gap there of like wait a second how did you get from where you were to well, that area that's what i am really curious of how you got to, why you left the states why did you go um to nicaragua why did you end up in panama like what le- that's what i told him too like i'm he's like the hard questions are the best questions but i was like i want to know what led you to this because i said I, I, I was like i've had my own experiences not killing people but going into youth jail and like being arrested in holding cells when i was a kid right so i understand yeah. the idea of like making mistakes not like this, where this is you're murdering people. And I said that to him, that we're going to acknowledge the victims because you did kill five people. Right. And that's not okay in any eyes. Even, even honestly, like as much as, you know, we should fucking murder the pedophiles and all that stuff that a lot of people say. I don't even know if that is something that should happen. Should we or should we just lock them away where they can't hurt anybody and try and fucking understand what makes them that way so we can stop that from being a thing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at, look at serial killers. We've effectively mm. cut down on the sheer number of serial killers through behavioral analysis and like predicting, you know, what type of things make these people what to look for pattern wise. Is it complete? No, of course there are. Or they're in government now. What killers are 
No, they've always been in government. Come on, man. (laughs) Ted Bundy and George Bush are the same person. Look at the pictures. Follow the money. No. (laughs) So I'm just going to go into a little bit of his background of his life because he was born on September 12th, 1979 in North Carolina, living in the rural mountains of Western North Carolina. Uh, Holbert's family owned a, and managed a small apple orchard and cattle farm. Pretty normal everyday shit. Hmm. Um, Sounds nice. I would actually like to grow up. Yeah, that sounds lovely. It sounds boring as shit if you're a kid, though. Yeah, and uh, William attended high school in the neighboring city of Hendersonville, North Carolina. He played uh, high school football, which you could probably tell because he is a big dude. He's a beefy boy. He's a big dude. Oh, my God, he looks like what's-his-fuck from SNL. Um, In the face, the uh, the newer fat guy from SNL. He kind of does. Maybe we shouldn't say that. (laughs) But... um, uh, you I think he's sensitive about his fucking weight? <laughs> no, because he's like fit as fuck now. He Good like obviously works. That's out newer. Like that's that. that's recent. Yeah, and I've seen even with talking to him, he doesn't look even close. Oh my to god, that, that flag on his chest is problematic. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the <laughs> least problematic thing about this episode. It's still yes, fucked, but uh, um, so. It seems like kind of normal, like he was like in a high, like he played high school football and was elected by his teammates as one of the two field generals, which um, I used to play football. I was a linebacker and um, What's a field uh, general in football? I've never heard of that. They run on the fucking field with like a sword and this fucking say march. They have a bugle boy behind them. Just. And then uh, Holbert was uh, cited by a game uh, warden in 1996 when he was 17 for illegal hunting on federal land. He was not arrested, but he was fined and released. Otherwise, no arrest or convictions as a minor. And he kind of just seemed to live a kind of normal life in the States. And then from 2000, and there's, there's, there's gray areas. Mm-hmm. Um, that we seem to not know about, and there's no information. But he essentially said there's a lot of lies about him on the internet, which you know, Shocker. I'm sure. It's the internet, it's but the all internet, the same. Yeah. At the same time, it's coming from the mouth of somebody that I can't necessarily trust. Um, as much as you know, he might watch this afterwards because I know he does look at his interviews after. And as far as I can tell, I got nothing against you other than the crimes that you committed. Uh, because I want to take into, I want to acknowledge. I really do want to acknowledge that five people were murdered by this man. And one was, and we'll get into it later, according to what Aaron researched a kid. Um, and well, that, that's five okay. people that we know of were murdered yes. by this man. If he was a hitman for the cartel, there are numerous bodies we will never know of. And quite frankly, it's yeah. the cartel. I don't want to, their business no. is their business. It's yes. nothing to do with me. No. And, um, it's funny because, you know, there is different opinions, obviously, with stuff. But, like, the fact that the st- type of stuff our government has done to kill people, it, to me, is, is equally as bad as this guy. Nobody Worse. brings that shit up. No, so. no the, biggest, the biggest fucking murderers on the planet are governments. And, yeah, I mean, hila- you know, yeah, how many, like how many people are killed people. from the push of a button from drone strikes every Obama. fucking day? Uh, yeah, I, I, that I don't know if you guys bad. saw Obama did a... Um, uh, essentially like a political thing went on a stage and everyone fucking was screaming, fuck Joe Biden. And he couldn't even talk. And I was like, this is awesome. There were articles that came out earlier of Obama being like warning people about Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust fucking Obama as far as I could throw that. No, of course not. Fucking piece of He's shit. a politician. Anyways, you shouldn't trust any of them. So he was a political activist as far as we know from 2003 to 2005. William led the, the Southern National Patriots it's like a militant group 
and uh, it was kind of a political party based in we- um, you know Western North Carolina, which obviously has does have its roots in racism, you could say. But I'm not saying everyone from fucking North Carolina is fucking racist by any means. Guessing that tattoo like that. on his chest will tell us. Uh yeah. Anything we need to know about what kind of politics the patriot It's not heritage. Has. It's not hate. It's heritage. It's fucking not. <laughs> I know, because that's a, that fan that used to love us until Billy uh, fucking made fun of them for I, saying... I still... <laughs> what? I still think the funniest thing is that it's not even the fucking flag of the Confederacy. Stars and Bars was like uh, Missouri's naval flag. It yeah. wasn't the fucking symbol of the confederacy so it makes it makes zero sense to me in the first place and at the height of the organization at 500 active members um acquiring a meeting uh, a meeting house on the main street in forest city north carolina there supposedly you could see them walking around stuff like that within this forest city um in uniform and stuff like that and um william denied this charge claiming that's like they essentially said that um they were criticized for being racist uh and by a local branch of nnn NAACP, National Advancement or National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. It's the NAACP. Oh. Uh, most of our listeners will know what that is. I've never heard of that. Because you're Canadian. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because we're racist according to Tommy Chong. Uh, but um, <laughs> William, that was so weird. I know. Yeah, wait, uh, you'll hear. Uh, he essentially said that he's Canada's pretty, uh, pretty racist, which. We had a prime minister that wore blackface four times, and he's still empowered. So, and he still hasn't apologized for it. Has no, he? he hasn't done anything to apologize for anything he's done in the atrocities he's fucking pulled. So uh, William denied this charge. Obviously, he said that claiming that several of the group members were African American, which could be the case. Uh, kind of do believe him with that because there's tons of group and organizations out there that have all walks of life. Of there people. were Jews in the Nazi Party. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't make it less racist. No. So the group collapsed in 2005 when Holbert left the United States. Okay, so we got about 15 minutes before he calls in. Aaron, do you want to get into the murders and the crime, sir? Yeah, like I said, um, there's there's huge gaps there in a lot of all this. Um, no matter how many different articles I found, uh, podcasts I listen to, interviews and stuff like that, there's, I don't know, there's just these, these like, glaringly massive gaps in, like, what actually went on and and yeah. it, it's something that you don't really see that much so it, it kind of threw me off to be honest and like you know he was quoted as saying that uh obviously he confessed to killing five people mm-hmm. and he said the only reason that he confessed was because they didn't actually have anything on him and that makes I, I no want sense. no and i want to say this he did say the reason why he wants to do this and why he wants to do shows is because he according to him he wants to direct people away from this lifestyle because he's like, when you're a gangster, there's only two lives and there's only two routes that this goes and that's grave or a prison in the yeah. ground or in a prison. So according to him and, and me and Aaron, have had conversation with him. He seems, um, repentant, genuine from at least from what I can hear. Right. Okay. But I'm only having a conversation with someone that's inside of a fucking prison incarcerated, um, you know, in Panama. So <clears throat> carry on Aaron. You see, right, you say that, and it, just to play, I suppose, devil's advocate a little bit, um, he, I don't know, there's something about this whole thing with him that makes me wonder, uh, you know, are, are we being duped a little bit into thinking? Like, I, I had a, a pretty extensive conversation with him about nothing really to do with murder or anything, and he, mm-hmm. he seemed like quite a genuine and normal guy. 
and I had to kind of keep reeling myself back in and going, wait a second. This person you're talking to is in one of the most dangerous prisons on the planet mm-hmm. for the next 46 years. Like, so there's obviously something there that doesn't, you don't just, yeah, you don't just end up in that situation, like, by mistake, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's been quoted saying things like, uh, you know, oh, I don't understand why they made me famous. Uh, they made it all more sensational than it was. It's ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to seem insensitive. Yeah, I fucked up, but they've made me like a celebrity. Um, he was like, yeah, I confess they didn't really have anything on me. Uh, and I think he he said as well, he told them that uh, his wife at the time had nothing to do with it, but she got 26 years as well. Holy so shit. something, yeah, going on. And he was like, uh, I think the quote was, I have the quote here somewhere. Oh yeah, he said, uh, the things I did didn't have anything to do with her at all. Other than the fact that she lived in my house and cooked my food and fucked me. She had nothing uh, to do with what went on. Now, which is strange, right? In in that quote, there's a key word. He says, lived in my house. Now, if anybody's familiar with this story, they'll know that some of the people he killed, he had this cool thing where he would just shoot you in the head, bury you on your own property, and then just move into your house and live there as if... He'd done that twice, and he told the people in the area. He was like, yeah, no, I... The, I bought the house. They've like moved back to the States when That's in actual crazy. fact he had shot them yeah. in the head and buried them in the front yard. It sounds like this should be made into a movie. Not going to lie, but, um, and, and also yeah. the fact that he, he quotes himself as, uh, being one of the most notorious, like, um, Latin, uh, what did he call himself? The South American cartels, like, uh, main hitman kind of thing like. yeah which leads me to believe like that having a a fucking whatever you want to call it a kill count of only five people yeah seems quite small considering that like in some of these prisons five people die every day yeah i know so <laughs> i can't really imagine a world where he's only killed five people those five people and the more you think about this right he says that they were all cartel hired killings so he done it for money yeah. But why did he why did he kill them, bury them in their own yard, and then move into their house and take all their possessions? Yeah. That doesn't really make any sense to me. It's like if it was a cartel killing, why would they tell you to move into the house and stay around the area? They necessarily wouldn't. And that's why I'm like, why is there like no details on this? And I don't know how much he's gonna get into. This is gonna be interesting because it's from his point of view, everybody. I want you guys to realize this. Um, that yes, we're taking account that there was victims that he murdered people, but we got presented this opportunity to do this, and I've been interested by true crime, serial killers, and all this stuff since I was a kid. I wanted to write letters to Charles Manson. That's how I was sick in the head I am. But the thing is, I understand that people were murdered and hurt by this man, uh, but I am giving him a platform to essentially tell his story, which people can view as what they want it to, and people will have different opinions on this. But if you get triggered and you're offended by what we're doing, turn it off. Simple as that. Yeah, this is this is going to be a rough episode, I'm sure. So anybody uh, with you know a, a little higher sensitivities might want to tune this one out that's another thing right that i'm kind of intrigued by is how he has managed to survive in this country if if mm. all this stuff that he says is true well he's I'm a pastor of like 150 people and shit too but I, yeah but i'm surprised like the cartel haven't like he he even tells a story and he'll probably get into stuff like that where he says i think for about 50 dollars, i think in prison you can have somebody killed because he was like they just 
like a lot of the inmates there are treated like absolute garbage. Like you'll have twenty men and four beds in a cell and shit I'm like sure that, and they fun. don't get anything. They get these like terrible prepacked meals and and all this stuff. So he was like, they they will do <sighs> like they'll go and stab somebody to death for fifty dollars. Good God! It's so, so great. I took two shots before this because I and I have a fucking drink now because I feel <clears> like this <throat> is gonna get. Um, and like, crazy. I don't know, just, the whole thing just seems really, I, I'm I'm fascinated by how he has, uh, how he's managed to like stay alive in prison and hasn't seemed to have ever had any real issue. And he's we even said, talk to about it. yeah, I'm going to like, that's, that's mm-hmm. the one thing I really want to find out. Cause like he, he's quoted as saying like he, the, the mirror from the UK, the paper mm-hmm. interviewed him a couple of years ago. And like he quoted saying, like, uh, I'm a rock star in here. Wherever I go, I'm received really well in prison. Um, Do you think he, because like fucking uh, he's like a big white dude and a lot of those, I don't know, like it's fucking because they, they're kind of Spanish, right? Is that like mm-hmm. fucking I was like, right? Like Panama. So you think about those skinny little Spanish men. Is that why? Like because he's like a big hulking dude. white dude. So so this I don't know that's was- fucking racist. <laughs> This dude was yeah, eating. Like, yeah. yeah, sure was. <laughs> but I it's did like joke. without sounding like a complete asshole. I I did kind of think that at first. I was like, maybe he just seems like this giant like fucking Sasquatch character, and everyone's like, oh fucking hell. Yeah. It's possible. But at that point, but, like, why wouldn't they have just had him killed? Like if they were afraid the of him, you said yeah. it's fifty bucks to get somebody killed. Why wouldn't he just be taken out? Mm-hmm. This is the thing. I was, and you know, there's there's fourteen hundred prisoners. I think where he's uh, being held. So like. I mean, and people die every day, so it wouldn't really be that out of the ordinary for someone to just go in and stab him to death at some point. Like, yeah. I mean, how can one dude take on an entire prison full of people? But like he, he, uh, he was boasting about it. Like he was at one point, he every night he would have like Pizza Hut, KFC. Uh, he had his own barbecue. He'd like barbecue sausages and stuff out in the yard. Um. And he he had said to them, uh, there, there's pictures of him online posing with like thousands of dollars cash, American, uh, in his cell with his middle fingers and stuff up. Um, yeah, he called me. And that sounds like, like every pastor the, I know. The call. Yeah, see, this, yeah. this is the thing. This is the thing I, I have issue with a bit. I'm like, hmm, do I believe some of this shit that you're trying to spin? Um, there's, he even says it as well. He, uh, he they bring him women like twice a week i think they come in at like 8 p.m and leave at 4 a.m yeah like they come in and he can like have sex with them in a cell and do whatever he, he said wants the cops and, watched him and he'll probably get into which is, it which is fucking we're not we're not, we're not voyeurism shaming people no here. no and he said uh if you guys got anything um he's ready when we are Jay? let's go for it all right let's get into it um guess because he wants me to call him so here we go Hey guys, it's me, Brother Wild Bill Holbert. My name is William Dathan Holbert. I grew up in Western North Carolina, and through a series of strange and terrible events, I became a hitman in Central America. From the years 2006 to 2010, I was Central America's premier hitman and cocktail assassin here in the, primarily the Republic of Panama, but also in other, other places. In 2010, in July, on the 27th of 2010, I was arrested in a Nicaraguan war zone and shipped back to Panama, where they slapped me with a 46-year sentence. Uh, I've served 12 years of that 46-year sentence for quintuple homicide inside the worst prison, the very worst prison in all Central America, and that's saying a lot. Now, I um, I want to say something before we even get started with Tom and the boys here, is that 
it's important for you guys out there listening in radio land or podcast land that to understand that I'm completely repentant for the things that I've done and, and everything that, that's happened to me or everything that I've perpetrated uh, in my life. The atrocities that I committed are my own. Um, but unlike, like a lot of people say, serial killer, I don't like that. I don't want to be called a serial killer because in reality, I don't have like a bloodlust or anything. The things I did were all for greed, just for the money. Um, that doesn't make them any better and it doesn't excuse anything either. But what I live for today, I'm in the, I'm a Christian minister inside. I'm, I'm an inmate inside the La Jolla complex, which is the worst prison. There's 12,000 inmates here. Somebody dies every day. Somebody here dies every day. Somebody's murdered here by other inmates every day. And the day that we don't have, it's kind of a joke when there's not a murder here, we make a joke out of it. Oh, there was no murder today. What happened? And so it's, you know, you live with that grim humor in this, this, this place. But in this place, I have become, I have, I've become the prison chaplain. I am actually the chaplain of the prison. I'm also the mediator between the gangs. And I work daily for the police uh, here on the inside of the prison. Um, my friends have invited me to be on various podcasts here. And we're doing that. And I'm really excited to be here. I would love to uh, ask you, because it's a, a big question, obviously, is uh, like what led you down this road? And um, I just want to like tell you kind of thing is that, so we've both, me and Aaron especially, have looked into you as a person and tried to look in. And there's a lot of gray areas and missing gaps of how you essentially went from this kid in North Carolina playing football to being in Nicaragua and Panama and if you could go into any detail of what kind of led you down this path and what actually connected you, if you can speak upon it, with the cartels and stuff. Well, you know, I, th I think the most important thing, and this is something that people, that normal people back home need to pay attention to because I come from a normal world. I had a normal childhood. I come from a middle-class background. As you said, I played high school football. I was, you know, little Mr. All-American boy, you know, what, what you'd want your child to be. I had halfway decent grades, um, never got into any trouble of any kind. Um, and, and I want you to understand that there's a couple of things that are important to recognize here. One, what you concentrate on and what you think about is what you become. So that's dangerous. Um, that's dangerous for a lot of you that listen to us. And I, I don't want to, like, like point fingers, but it's dangerous for a lot of you to listen to like murder podcasts all the time and stuff. Those, be careful doing that because what, what I did when I was growing up, I, I, yeah, I know, I know <laughs> it is. And it's what everybody does, you know, and everybody does it, you know, but, but what I did when I was growing up, I idolized the villains in everything. I don't care what, 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 what I was, what I idolized and tried to identify with a villain in any form of entertainment, you know, music, movies, whatever. I idolized and, and, and identified with the villain at all times, and I became a villain. I remember as a child, this is a strange thing, you asked the question, it's kind of a long, it's, kind of, it's, it's, a, it is a, it's a complex question with a, a complex answer. I remember as a child watching the Sylvester Stallone movie in which he was a hitman, and he went to Panama, he was in a Panamanian play, uh, play he went to a bank and withdrawn, withdrew $20 million. That's absolutely impossible in the real world, you can't do that, but that's what he did. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a hitman in Panama. I said that to myself when I was about 12 years old. And it's funny. And I remember that moment and it actually came to pass. I, I spent a lot of time making bad decisions. I'm like one decision, bad decision after another, after another, after another. It's not like you wake up one day and say, 
I'm going to be a contract killer. That's what I'm going to do with my life. It, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's one decision after another after another, and it leads you down deeper and deeper into hell. In that glamorous-looking lifestyle that you see in the movies and, and other things like that isn't reality at all. In reality, um, the life of a contract killer is, is terrible. I mean, it's good in moments. There, there are moments about it that are good. Uh, I mean, it's impossible for me to tell you. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that being naked in the bed with four chicks in the mountain of cocaine is a bad thing. I mean, that's a lot of fun, I'll be honest with you. But tomorrow, when the money runs out and when the horse have to go home to their husbands and you're left all alone with a hangover, man, you feel like absolute shit. And that's what you are. I was an absolute shit person. I hung up. Yeah, and, and Are you there? yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. we, we, we yeah, can still hear loud and clear. Um, yeah, um, I've done every one of little bit of those things, but not all at <laughs> once. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would like I we're really curious, obviously, because we want to get to know kind of more who you are. We've talked to you, especially me and Aaron, on and off kind of thing. I like, and I'm just really curious of more of the like. What really connected you to the cartel? Was it someone you talked to? Like, how, did you connect with what a friend? To- Mm-hmm. What happened to me was I left the United States. I, I had, I got married, had kids, and yeah, then got divorced. And in, exactly, that's where we're going. And when I was, when I went to family court in the United States, which is just an atrocious and horrible system bent on the destruction of the family, really. When I went to family court, the the judge or the judge ordered that I had to pay like three thousand dollars a month to my ex-wife. I didn't even make three thousand dollars a month at the time. We're talking about twenty years ago. That's about what I made every you know a month was about three thousand dollars a month, and um, this was like I said this was in two thousand four, and and I was angry, and so my lawyer told me he said don't pay it, he said don't pay it because if you pay it once that proves that you can pay it. So he said send her like send her eight hundred bucks, and that's what we thought we were going to end up with. So send her eight hundred bucks. We come back to court and the judge says, well she didn't give you the kids, and so we're going to slap her with a with a twenty five dollar fine plus court costs for contempt of court for disobeying the judge's order. And you didn't pay what you're supposed to pay. And so we're going to give you a contempt of court fine too. And that's three weeks in jail in prison in like in prison for three weeks. And I slung a fit in the middle, in the courtroom. I said, you bunch of fucking idiots. What, what kind of a mad house are you running here? Why, why would her fine be $25 for her not doing her? I mean, anyway, I, got, I became angry and it wasn't injustice. I mean, it was, but I used, I allowed that injustice to destroy my whole life. And what I did is I told my lawyer, I said, I said, tell him, tell him I'll serve it on the weekend. So he did. He said, let him, so let him serve it on the weekend. And I just said, fine. And I told my lawyer, I said, you'll never see me again. And these motherfuckers won't want and you a flee, criminal. You they flee, want a criminal. Yeah. Did you flee to Nicaragua said, first? No, no, hang on. I'll get there. But I told him, I said, these motherfuckers want a criminal. I'm going to show them the best damn criminal there was. And I became a criminal in that moment. I really wasn't one before. But if they're going to put me in jail, I was going to, I was going to make sure that I, I showed them the very best criminal that they had. And I became one. I became a good one. And where I went first, I went to Costa Rica first. I was in Costa Rica. Yeah. I'd been in Costa Rica for vacation. Something for vacation. switched, so I went switched to Costa in your Rica head kind of thing. Something switched on to be like, well, if you want to make me... Uh, out to be a villain, I'm going to be the best villain that I can be, is like how you're like what you thought in your mind state at that time. Exactly what happened. I mean, exactly. And I, 
I said, well, if, if I'm already screwed anyway, and like to me, going to prison, going to jail for three weeks was just unthinkable. It was like a, in that time period, it was uh, like the worst thing ever because I was like this upstanding kid in the community, you know, and they were going to put me in, in jail. And so I, that whole life just fell apart, just like literally fell apart. Now, obviously, I made a stupid decision, right? I mean, I should have did the three weeks, even though it wasn't fair. I should have done the three weeks and just moved on with my life, but I didn't. And I left the United States, and there's a lot of things I can't talk about. There's a lot of things I can't talk about because I don't want to be, I'm, I'm going to be free one day, and I don't want to have any problems in the past. But I began, I began being a criminal in the United States at that moment. I, 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 I just spent about six months there accumulating enough cash to go, and I left the United States for about $400,000. So when I left the United States for $400,000, I felt pretty good about myself. I'll be honest with you. I'm I like, I can do this. You know, I, I feel pretty good about myself. I can do this. I even escaped. I escaped the cops, and we won't talk about that. But I mean, that helicopters chasing me and shit, and I escaped them. So, so it was like I was pretty sure I was James Bond, man. You know, I was pretty sure that you felt that like was, that kind of like Scarface really, character, right? Someone who is above the law, so to speak. Exactly. I mean, like you know, there's no, they can't touch me. They're trying, and they can't. And I'm so far ahead of them, you know. And with all their technology and all their bullshit, they can't catch me. And so I went to Central America, where it was even easier. And from there, what happened was, you can't go and get a job at a <clears throat> When you're a fugitive, you can't just go and get a job somewhere, man. I mean, you're a fugitive, you know. You can't even buy a house or something. You, Everything is temporary because you don't know when you're going to have to run. So when I was in Costa Rica, where I, I went to where I had been on vacation one time before, and there I met a man who was into human smuggling. And I was a, I had a 500-ton captain's license, U.S. Coast, US Coast Guard captain's license. And so I, uh, I, ended, up, I ended up captaining a human trafficking boat. And from there, that's how I got, you know. So that's what kind of got you the into cartel. the crime uh, crime world of the cartel. Was it? Yeah. Not to interrupt, Tom. Was it a, like, were you able to use your captain's license or was it just you knew how to operate the vehicle itself? Like you, you were just, you you'd manned a vessel like that before. So it was. Yeah, exactly. I knew what I was doing and it wasn't. Who else knew how to, in that environment, who else knew how to, you know, to, okay. to, drive, to drive a big boat, you know? Yeah, because no, I, I was just curious because so, if you're, sorry, go ahead. Everything's clandestine, stealth, you know, like, like really stealth, stealth, you know, you know, you're trying to stay away from the authorities, not be involved with. So. Well, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure the cops are corrupt over there either way. I'm sure a little payoff yeah. and they would let you go. I mean, the police like, are corrupt everywhere. When I was, well, yeah, but here, I mean, it's like a different level. When I was killing people, the Panamanian FBI which is the DIJ, D-I-J, DIJ. That's like the version of the FBI in Panama. They worked directly with me during the whole time I was, the whole time I was killing people. I mean, they, the, I paid them and, and they helped me in, in so many ways I can't even, and like when, well, for instance, when, I, when they were looking for me, the, the DIJ called me and told me to get the hell out of Panama. We, it's going to take us about six months to clean this up because you're hot right now. Go, get, get, get. And so I went to Costa Rica. And that's that's like how you know. Is Costa Rica I mean, like the, just just uh, just so uh-huh. I can get some points across? Because I know that like if something cuts out, like I do want to get um, some of our questions in as you go through your stories, because you can like kind of carry on as we kind of interject with a few little. Uh, is this essentially where the contract killing started? Was in Costa Rica, or was it when you actually went to Panama? Like I'd like to know when that initially no. started. What happened to me was I killed a guy in, in self-defense, but a cartel associate. He was a cartel associate, mm-hmm. a huge man, and I killed 
he attacked me. We got into a, like a verbal a verbal fight, which became a fist fight, which became a fight to the death. And uh, in a boat on the high seas, actually in Panama, it was in Panama. But I was living in Costa Rica at the time. And uh, I killed a man, and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, freaked out, man. Because I mean, panic like, sets like, in, right? Because you start to, you realize, you obviously, especially in a self-defense environment, when someone is attacking you, if that is the case, right, that you uh, you kind of get in this mm-hmm. panic mode, and you might have gone too far, is what I'm kind of taking from this. And then you essentially, like, you start to realize maybe what you've done. And then I want to ask, did it, did it come as something that you felt like you could get over pretty easily um, because obviously none of us have ever killed somebody. So I, one question I've always wanted to ask someone who has done it is what is the feeling like of uh, taking another human's life? It sounds fucked and morbid, but we are a dark comedy podcast and we do a lot of crazy stuff. So I'd like to know like when that set in and you started coming, becoming used to actually doing contract killing, um, what was the feeling and the mindset behind that? Well, I'll tell you, the, um, the, when, I, when, when, I, when I realized I have a dead body here and I killed him, the only thing that was in my mind was, oh, no, poor guy was, fuck, I'm going to jail. i got to do something about this. I don't want to go to prison. And, and, then, and then even worse, not, that was, you, I'll be honest with you, that wasn't even the thought. That's a lie. That wasn't even the thought. The thought was the fucking cartel's going to kill me because he's like a lot older in the organization. I was, he, he, he was an old, you know, an, an, a, friend, a friend of the, the boss. And I'm like, so I pulled the boat around to the dock, and the boss, not the high, the big boss, but like an underboss, came to pay us. And I said, hey, man, and he said, what the fuck happened to you? I was like covered in blood. And he and, and, and I'm shaking, you know, like smoking a cigarette, shaking. And he and I said, man, I got a problem. And he's like, what the fuck? Are you sick? Somebody shoot you? And I'm like, no. Look, and I opened it. Uh, I, I had thrown a blue tarp over the body. I was like, look. And he's like, motherfucker. You have a problem. We don't have a problem. You have a problem. I didn't see anything. I came and I paid you and I paid him and I'm going home. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that's how they handled it. And Brush so it off I went the and had to bury the body. It was like, you know, and so what I did, like, I mean, like, I'm, you're in survival mode. You know, I ain't got time to cry over somebody's death. And so I went and I mean, I'm too deep in this shit now, you know, and like, and I just got a whole lot deeper. And so I went and I buried the body and cleaned myself up and went home and like, laid looking at the ceiling for three nights not being able to sleep and, and there, I, I won't lie there's no like huge feeling of guilt I didn't feel like a different man and like I crossed a special line and none of that shit I was just worried like somebody's gonna come and clip me because you were you were in you know, your own gonna... you were trying to survive is what I'm taking from this because in these in you know and we said before you kind of came on that like trigger warning for people that might get offended by the shit everyone gets offended nowadays uh, but I am a different type of person and I'm gonna come from a different point of view and I'm sure like Aaron and Anton will when we do have questions um, but essentially it's survival mode and in your point in your life you're in a foreign country and I was gonna ask you also did you find that you were treated differently because you were a white dude so to speak from the states um by the cartels and stuff like that and then if you could uh then i'll preface into you getting into when you actually uh, maybe got in uh the first kind of engagement of like hey um will you be able to kill for me kind of thing or is it more or less like it kind of just happened in a way where you were just in moments where they kind of got you to do those things so does well, they, does uh they came to visit me they came to visit me after it happened and then like it was like 
we own you now because you killed one of ours, and so you have to do what we say, but you're going to get rich. Kind of makes sense. And so that's what I did, you know. And so I, I was trained like this. I was taken to a far, I don't want to say what country because, you know, I don't have any problems there, but I was taken to another country apart from Costa Rica and Panama and put to work for six weeks doing my job. And that's as much as I'm going to say about that. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of that six weeks, I was, I was pretty fucking burst. You know what I mean? I was pretty, you know, capacitated. I was pretty, you know, I, I felt I had a really good education when I came back to, to Costa Rica and was told to move to Panama, which I did. I moved to Panama. And then one of the first jobs I took in Panama actually was killing the man who brought me into the cartel. And so a lot of people give me shit. A lot of people give me shit about, 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 about a certain murder. I'd like to address this in this time. I, I killed a kid. He was 17 years old. Um, I know there was a man who was wanted by the DEA. I don't even know what his real name was. They called him Mike Brown, but I don't know what his real name was. But he was wanted by the he was he was he worked for the DEA. I'm sorry, he wasn't wanted by the DEA. He worked for the DEA as a rat, and he put some heavy hitters away in Miami back in the night in that late '90s. And so they were pretty pissed off at him, you know. You can imagine. And when they found him, they wanted him clipped and sent me to do it. And so I went to do it. And but there's no way to do it. There was no way to do it because he has a, you know wife and kid there at home. And so I went back and I'm like, there's no way to do this without killing this family. And so they said, kill the whole fucking family then. Because, they, I mean, there's, there's like some bosses that are still doing time in the federal pen because of this guy. And so I did that. But one thing I didn't do, I didn't ask the kid for his driver's license before I killed him. You know, I'm like a lot, a lot of Karens give me a lot of shit online about, oh, you're a child killer. I didn't know he was a child. I didn't know that he, I mean, he was 17 years old. Even three months, he would have been 18. Would it have been better had I waited three months? I mean, are, are, we, are we splitting hairs? And I'm not trying to... Hmm. I didn't kill anybody because I wanted to. I didn't want to kill people. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be. I wanted to make money. And yes. I did terribly selfish and horrible things based on greed and survival. I didn't have to do them. I wasn't forced to do them. I could have turned myself in or... You know, there's like a lot of other things I could have done, and I wish I had done. And at this, would I ever do yeah, any of that I, shit again? Can I say at this time, right, obviously you're, you're in survival mode, right? And you're in a different country and it's like, essentially it's selfishness takes over because you're, you know, having to survive and you think that you essentially need to do these things to survive because you can't go back to the States. Um, did you ever like, did you ever find maybe that like, uh, it was just like, were you on I'm curious, were you on, like, obviously, Coke is a drug that I've even tried that is something that allows you to alleviate your, your self-worth and stuff like that, and you kind of become aggressive and angry. Were you on anything at this time? Like, I want to know what your mindset was going into this, or was it more of, like, I have to survive, um, only thinking about me and what I need to do to keep going? I certainly wasn't thinking about anybody else but myself. I was a selfish asshole. I was miserable, too. It's important that we understand that. There wasn't any time in part period of this time where I could say, oh, I was so happy. I was a miserable bastard. I mean, the whole life, I mean, anybody listening to this, please understand that the life, that, like, it's another thing. I'll say this real quick, before, and then I'll finish the answer to that question. You think that you, like, we all, all of us who are criminals or who, are, who do anything to make money illegally think that we can take a shortcut and, and, and have money. You know, we want to take a shortcut. We're not going to have to bust our ass. We can do this, or sell drugs, or, or kill people, or, you know, sell stolen equipment, or whatever, whatever. 
But there's only two places for the retirement of a maliente, of a bad guy, and gangster. that's the prison or the cemetery. But, you know, a maliente means means gangster means you know. There, there's only two places for that, and that's the prison house or the or the the cemetery. How many successful criminals do you know? There aren't any. I mean, there really aren't. I mean, like maybe unless they're part of the government. I, I was going to say the entire government would be successful criminals, but <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But that sooner or later, even even that sooner or later will have to be paid. Um, but 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 what I'm what I'd like everybody to know out there is that. There's nothing glamorous. I mean, like I say, I'll go back to the fact there are some moments that are incredible. I've lived some things that you wouldn't believe that are really cool, but they're not worth the the horrible shit that went on. What was my mindset while I was doing these things? I was like paranoid, horrible, and in order to sleep at night, and I was paranoid not because, oh, I'm doing terrible things. I didn't even have a conscience back then. I have one now. I have yeah. one now. I've cultivated one now, but, but back in those days, I was just worried about somebody clipping me. I never, ever thought I'd go to jail. That wasn't even something that I thought would happen. I just, I assumed that the end of my life would be the same retirement that all uh, hitmen get, and that's death. I mean, all hitmen, there's no hitmen. You don't ride off into the sunset. You start that job knowing that you're going to die in that job, that when you become no longer useful, that they're going to kill you. That's the truth. And, and you know that going in. And so what you're trying to do is drag it out as long as possible and live as many highs as you possibly can. Yeah. So that makes for a really shitty experience. It, do, it does really make sense. Yeah. And, and, and obviously like we accounted for like at the beginning of this, that, you know, there was victims of, uh, I guess the atrocities and crimes that, uh, you have committed, so to speak. Um, but like, I've never murdered anyone and I don't plan on it, but it's, I have been in mind states, um, uh, when I've been on certain types of drugs and stuff like that, which could lead people down a dark path. And I do have an understanding of that to an extent, because as I've, we've talked to listeners before this is, this is coming from your point of view in your shoes and not from the victims. So there's no, and as far as we looked into, you can't really find any details on said victims. Um, obviously, cause they probably don't want to expose it by any means, but we've l- tried to dive kind of deeper into that, especially Aaron, if he has any questions throughout this uh, pipe up and then, uh, but, like essentially it's through your eyes and in your shoes and stuff like that so um you know i want people to take a grain of salt a bit but i actually do have a great understanding of what you're at least trying to say uh going back to uh, something you said earlier too uh for about the money I i was curious is there like a median pay system is it like certain targets are worth more or is it just kind of like a uh you know this is what we're giving you for x amount of you know time of service or is that something you can even talk about? First, like, like the first six weeks when I was being trained how to be a, a professional killer, I worked as like, this is what we're going to give you and you're going to have to do that. And then after that, I was more or less a freelance operator, really. I didn't, they trained I wasn't you? like, I did didn't they, have to get That's work. great. Yeah. Did they have like, yeah. did they have stuffed <laughs> scarecrows that you'd stab with a knife or something? Like, how did that go? No, brother, uh, they, they trained you on human beings. You oh, know what fuck. I mean? That's how that's your training. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they train you like this is your your first job is this, and this is how you do it, and there's some guy guiding you along, and so. But I mean, you work a lot in the first six weeks, a lot. Like, I feel like lot, Tom like is every in, fucking day. Tom was envisioning some fucking sitting down watching like a uh, uh, an orientation video, like you were going to work for some chain restaurant or something. Yeah. It's like here in Panama, we like <laughs> to do things a special way. Well, they are. And, they are kind of. They are pretty. It is kind of a. 
you know, it is a business. It's not thought of, of course. As, you know, it's a of course. business. It's, it's a yeah. business competition and treated and treated just benignly like you were working at Walmart or something like, you know, clean up on all three. No, we have you have an extraction on on you know in in Guadalajara and blah blah blah. And so I mean you know that, that's just how you got to do it the other day. But, so um, worked. I worked a lot. Like for the first six weeks, I worked for for the for directly for a cartel, and then afterwards, I worked as a freelance. I pick up on anything, and I'll be honest with you, I worked some for myself as well. Like I I I I looked for fugitives. I was a fugitive, right? And so listen to this. I, this wasn't something I'm bragging about. I'm just telling it like it is. I, I looked for other fugitives because other fugitives like me are men who came Panama, Central America, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and who brought money with them from the States because you can't be a fugitive if you ain't rich, and they hid themselves. So nobody's going to miss them, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because as yeah. far as so would, I've seen, it was uh, other fugitives. That's why I was like, me and Aaron were talking about that too, is essentially it's people that have fled America seeking asylum in certain That's countries. That's what I'm in prison for. Uh, the what actually happened to me was I was betrayed by my own people on a job that I did. I, I didn't want to do the job. I don't want to talk about it, but I didn't want to do the job. I was killing a man's wife, and I didn't want to do the job. And I said I wouldn't do it. And then my associates—it's not like they twisted my arm, but they—if you're going to keep working with us, you're going to have to do that. And so I did it. And then that was also, and I, and I don't. I didn't kill civilians. I had a, a rule. I, I don't kill civilians. Like, I, if you sent me to kill some kid, some, I'm not going to do that. Or if you sent me to kill some guy who owns a shoe store, I'm not going to do that. I kill, I kill other criminals. That's my job. And uh, Or other people who are in the game, other, other cartel members. You know, people who are in the game, that's what, that's what I do. And, and you asked me earlier how much money depends on the job. The job dependent, I would say, I, I would be able to say, but at, at, when I was at my height, I wouldn't get out of the bed for less than $250,000. If you don't have $250,000, you don't pay me. And I didn't and all that shit about uh, half up front, half at the end. That's all bullshit. You pay me at the end when I'm done. And if you don't pay me, I'll kill you too. And that's what I would say. You that's know, like, say, like I'm going to do this job. Wage. You know, and I, and I was in my, my living expenses back then were $40,000 a month. That's, that's how much, I mean, I had, I had like a huge mansion on the, on the water and like three houses and two farms and, a, and an airplane I think our friend from Ireland has a a question. Yeah, I was just going to ask, and and maybe you don't know the answer to this question, but um, I suppose when, you know, when you had that first situation where you killed that guy in self-defense and you said that, you know, they came to visit you and they said, you know, we basically own you now, you've killed one of ours. What stopped them from just either killing you or just using that against you and not paying you at all? Like, where... Why did that come into it? Do you think? Do you think there's a reason behind that? Well, I think the the first of all, it's they got they, it's nice that they own somebody that they can do whatever they want with him. That that if he that if he fucks up, they can wipe their ass with him. Meaning, like they owned me, and so if I said if I said no, they would kill me. But if I said yes, they could send me to do terrible things, which they did. And there isn't anybody to have any recourse. But we're all businessmen, and they're also intelligent enough to know that there are authorities and in order to keep somebody from running to the authorities to rat uh, they give money that's the that's the record they gotta bring so you into money. the lifestyle I mean, exactly there's so much money so i mean it's not like it's, it's difficult to like i live so bad now man i mean i live on like four or five hundred dollars a month selling fucking books and, and that's another thing please let, allow me in this moment to take a moment and say 
that I have a book called Long Live the King Wild Bill. And it's a memoir about my 12 years in third world prison. Really interesting, some funny stories, you know, some really funny and interesting stories. So please, guys, if you're listening and you want to know more about Wild Bill, go pick up that book, Long Live the King Wild Bill. And also, you can come and visit me on Instagram at Holiness Bill or in, on Facebook, uh, in the Facebook group, Friends of Brother Bill. That's at Holiness Bill on Instagram or Friends of Brother Bill on Facebook. So please come and interact with me. Go drag your asses over and pick up my book, Long Live the King Wild Bill. Yeah, we'll, so, we'll link to that so in the, uh, the episode description for all of our all of our listeners out there. You guys will be able to check that out. Really yeah, yeah, we'll send out, we'll put a link up and everything for you. Um, Aaron's got another I question. Really, yeah, we, we got lots of uh, questions, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I also have another question that I find uh, quite fascinating. Uh, you know, after you, you entered the prison system, I suppose, you know, you were well versed in, as you said, like horrible situations at that point. But what was there a fear, uh, you know, when, like you said, you're probably in one of the most dangerous prisons on planet Earth. Um, how do you think you've been able to or what's the reason behind being able to survive in that situation? Because I would imagine I've heard you tell some stories on other shows you know, about the fact that people get killed over nothing, essentially. Um, have you ever felt like a target? I've seen before you you refer to yourself as they treat you like a rock star at one point. They really do. They do treat They still do. Everywhere I go, I'm beloved. And one of the reasons is because I was so famous when I got put in prison here. Like, I was, I'm literally the most infamous or famous criminal in the, in the, in the history of the Panamanian prison system. Um... Prison here, you can't, as, as an American or a first worlder, like from the UK or Ireland or Australia, New Zealand, even South Africa, you can't be ready for this. There's no way to be ready for the hell and horror that is a Panamanian prison. I mean, you know, no running water. No, you're pissing in a jug, you know, shitting on, sometimes you have to shit in a piece of paper and roll it up and throw it out the window. I mean, li- literally, that's, that's your life. And sometimes there's no food for three days. And and, and like people get killed all the time. You're, if you haven't ever seen anybody get killed and you spend a week or two in a Panamanian prison, you're going to see that. Um, it, it, it just, just like I, I was, uh, I was involved in, well, I mean involved, I was there as a witness to the nine, 2019 La Jolla massacre. And, um, they killed 15 and chopped their heads off and piled them up in the floor and, and did like a, uh, Santeria right, like a satanic type right with the with six of the dead bodies. I mean, it's just an incredible shit that happens in a Panamanian prison because there's no rules here. I mean, the cops are on the outside and you just can't cross the line. Um, prisoners here have firearms. Prisoners here are armed. How am I alive? I think I really believe in God and I, I really believe that. And, you know, like we've talked to this point about all the bad things that I did and there's a lot of them. And I don't want to celebrate those things. I want to. I want everybody listening to know: don't fucking do that because it, it doesn't turn out well. My life is very difficult because of the things that I did, and the highs were not worth the pain and suffering I'm going through now, and I have been going through for 12 years. It's not worth it. Don't do it. Uh, you shouldn't glorify people like me. I mean, I, I'm not here to do that. Actually, I'm here on the on the other end of it. I'm here to say, hey, man. Uh, why am I surviving? I don't have a response for you because there are times I don't understand why. Because anybody can kill anybody here, and this is how it happens. You know, how does somebody kill somebody in a Panamanian prison? Do you, you say, find hey, buddy, that you're, come here. Yeah. <laughs> and they get like, do you find that you're imposing on people essentially, like that maybe you're just uh, you know a bigger dude, or like maybe people are intimidated, but at the same time, right? Like, how many white guys are in that fucking no, no. prison? <laughs> 
Like you were probably uh, um, one of the bigger dudes in the prison because a lot of the people of certain cultures are smaller in stature, essentially. Um, and like, do you find yeah, that, like, okay, what, like, does it you do you find like because obviously someone gets murdered there every day? Do you find that like um, that kind of transpires from the aggression and the tox the toxicity you could say the toxic nature of being in prison? Would you find that maybe some of the guards? Um, uh, propagate some of the violence inside the prison, or do you think that it is mostly the prisoners and their toxic behaviors towards one another? Because um, you're saying, obviously, you're connected and you have friends with inside the jails and people you get along with and respect, and you guys respect each other. Uh, but is there a, you know, where do you think the violence really stems from? I know all prisons have violence. Well, first of all, first, first, of all, first and foremost, the violence is, is you know, money, just like it is in the street, just like it is outside. Second of all, one thing to understand and consider, it doesn't matter how big you are here, you can be a lot bigger than me, you still die. Anybody can kill anybody here. Anybody can kill anybody here. If I want to kill somebody, I, I call one of these crackheads, guys that use, there's no crack here, but the cokeheads, coke kids that use a lot of cocaine, say, hey, go kill Bill. And the guy goes and kills Bill, and I give him a thousand dollars, and that's it. He, the maximum sentence in Panama is 50 years. He's already got a 50-year sentence, so it doesn't make any difference to him. Even so, if I even mean, if even if you killed someone with inside the jail, the sentence stays the same or does it extend? It extends to fifty years, but if you get a fifty year prison sentence in a Panamanian prison, you're gonna die in jail, man. So you're because kind nobody of can live here that long. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, even now, I'm fighting with them right now trying to get out of prison because they should have given me a twenty year sentence under the law. The Panama's maximum sentence when I was sentenced to twenty years, and they gave me a forty six year sentence. That's bullshit. Even the guys in the States are saying that, but the States don't want to help me. I mean, like the embassy, the United States embassy hates my ass. I mean, like really fucking hates me. 
And the reason that they hate me is because I killed Americans. You know, a lot, a lot of the people I killed were Americans, and 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 they think it's funny that I'm having a hard time. And another thing I'll say, and this is true, when Obama was president, listen to this. When Obama was president, the embassy was so helpful to me. I mean, they helped me, and and they were so good to me. And then Trump came and changed the ambassador and changed all the consulate people and put in his cronies. And I'm telling you, it's the sorriest bunch of motherfuckers that ever lived on the planet. They're a horrible bunch of bastards that, that don't help nobody and think it's funny that the prisoners are suffering, American prisoners are suffering here. They think it's hilarious. Not only that, the American embassy now uses Panamanian prisons as a tool. How so? Well, let's say you have a Pakistani jihadist that is going through Panama. The, Panama, the Americans call up Panama and say, pick him up. We got a red notice on in, in Interpol. They come pick him up and stick him in Sector C here with me. How long do you think that he's going to last in Sector C with these bunch of monkeys the monsters that are in here, right? And they start picking on him and shit and, and like holding him hostage and making his family send money and stuff. He's ready to cooperate with the United States whenever he can just to get the hell out of here. That does that kind of make all. sense. No, just I, treating I, it yeah. like a CIA black site offsite type thing. No, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and I understand right. that, yeah. Our, uh, Aaron, you, Aaron, you, uh, you had something? Well, I just want to say my prime minister gave money to a terrorist, so the candidate is not even any better. <laughs> but Aaron, carry on. Yeah, I yeah. had a twofold question. Um, how difficult is it for you, Bill, to, uh, I suppose, now being in a place like that where there is so much violence, and, and I assume you've got to be on high alert all the time, uh, how difficult has it been to, I suppose, uh, look the other way and not... Um, you know, you see it a lot, like, it's, it's a it's a needs must kind of a thing where people will be violent. So they're not the victim or people will lash out. So they don't have as many problems. How difficult has it been to, um, I suppose, uh, suppress having to do that. And also just to touch on, you know, you said you're, you're working on getting out of there. What, what is the process like for somebody in a situation like that? Like, how do you even go about uh, attempting to appeal something like that in Panama? Well, I'll answer the second question first. I, I, I wasn't always in the place that I am now. I've only been here three years. I was in a minimum security prison. I paid to get sent to a minimum security prison. And I was in that minimum security prison. I lived like a king. I got laid up like three times a week uh, by women. Not, you know, I'm not saying, I want to be clear about that. Not by women. I got girls coming up from the outside three times a week. I ate food from outside every single day. Uh, I had the key to my own cell, so on and so forth. That's I got crazy. put in here because I made the terrible mistake of doing an interview with Sophie Evans from the Daily Mirror in in, in Great Britain in in the UK, and the bastards just they lied about everything, and they, and they made the interview about me. It was supposed to be about the treatment of poor prisoners. So they made the interview about me, and the Panamanian government freaked the fuck out, and they sent me to this hell where I am as a punishment die literally i mean i got they, this is a joke they call it the joke is this is a panamanian death sentence in 2019 on october 22nd i was given a panamanian death sentence which means i was sent to be and tossed in with the worst gangsters in the world thinking that i would be immediately murdered but i'm wild bill and ain't, ain't nobody in the fucking world like me and so within about a year and a half i was on top of the situation where i am now and i run the show um, and that's not like, oh, Bill is such a cool man. He's, he's, he's tooting his own horn. I'm telling you what's real. Um, it makes why, sense. How do I live here? It makes sense. I just want to say that. How do I live here? 
I want to live here in this in this environment with all this violence. The only way that I've been able to maintain sanity is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And a lot of people don't believe in God. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas, but I don't know. I, I, a lot of things, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for me. I, I try a lot of things. I, I read a book. My, my life began to change when I read a book by Wayne Dyer. I don't know if anybody knows who that is, but I mean, I read a book by Wayne Dyer. read a book by Wayne Dyer called The Power of Intention. And it made me realize that my shitty fucking life is a product of my own actions. I'm in shit because of my fault. It's my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. I'm not a victim. Nobody's a victim. There's not a single victim on earth. Where everybody's in a shitty situation and, and we got to make the best of it. And you can change your life. And I did from that time. I was about 2013. I changed my life. I became a different man. And it was a long road, and I found Jesus Christ, too, and I used the teachings of Jesus Christ to change my life and to help other people do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. What a simple, simple thing that nobody does. And if you do put it in practice, your life becomes good, and you can live happy in hell. I'm a happy man. I sleep good every night. I don't have a worry in the world. I might die tomorrow, but I ain't got a worry in the world because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I know that I'm doing everything I should be doing right now. I didn't do everything I should do prior 2015, and I certainly didn't do everything I should have done prior 2010, but today, and there isn't there's a motherfucking thing I can do about the past, is there? But today, today I'm going to do the, the best I can do. I'm going to be the best man that I can be today and, and let the consequences fall where they may. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to give anybody any shit. I'm not going to try to try to make money off, off the misery of nobody else. I'm going to try. I'm going to share. If I've got something to share, I'm going to share it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a smile to everybody, and the motherfuckers that hate me, I'm going to laugh at them. And I do. All you Karens out there that think I'm an asshole, I am laughing at you. I want you to be aware of that. And all you people out here can sympathize with me and, and find sympathy. But thank you. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. I, I, have a, I have a random question. Um, it's something like I, I believe in dark forces and, and strange things. Like I'm not a religious person by any means. Uh, but I do believe in mm-hmm. like dark entities and stuff like that. And I've messed around with occult, uh, occultist stuff like Ouija boards and shit like that. I, as a curiosity, just because my mind is a strange thing and I like to ask weird questions, especially because we want this to be different than every other show is, um, so have you ever felt like during these murders or the stuff that you were doing that was criminal, did you ever feel like you may have been possessed and considering you do have a, a, a relationship with my man, JC, I just wanted to know, like, is there, um, have you ever felt like a possession or something was kind of taking hold of you during any of the crimes that you have committed? No, but I'll tell you what, I, I really did become a different person than I was when I started. I mean, like, oh, this is the one thing you want to talk about the occult. This happened. This happened. I'm not insane. I've never seen anything that wasn't there. I've never experienced things and I don't have voices in my head. I'm not an insane man, but this happened to me. The the first man that I killed in self-defense, I was at home and my wife at the time was asleep and I went to bed and I remember seeing a dark shadow move from one side of the room to the other and it was the shape of a man. And carefully, ever so carefully, I opened the drawer and took out a nine millimeter Beretta and cocked the hammer and turned the light on and for one second, I saw the man that I killed there dressed the way he was before I killed him and then he was gone. 
and I said, fuck, man, I'm cracking up. That I'm sounds like crazy. an omen. I've, uh, yeah, I've seen shadow people, and I'm not afraid to say it. I've seen weird things in my lifetime, UFOs, like crazy stuff. Um, so it actually is interesting to me to hear if, if you've actually seen some sort of uh, you know, ghost or apparitions, even within an old jail cell. Um, that's actually pretty interesting. You probably saw a formation of reality showing you uh, essentially the person that you killed. And for all you know, it could have been him showing himself to you to maybe some show some sort of guilt uh but also have you even dive into your thoughts a little bit on anything you want to talk about uh but have you had any like negative experience or see is there anybody in the prison that has seen some weird haunted shit considering we do that on the podcast it's just a curious question this is a thing that's strange you know i like in the states you especially in the south if you're coming from the south man, that's a haunted motherfucking place the United States South is a haunted place, and yes. I think it's because of so much misery during during the Civil War, you know? 100%. But it's a really haunted place, and I, a lot of, I have a lot of experiences as a kid there, but in Panama, you just don't feel that. And one of the reasons you don't feel that is because, like, nothing's old here. Everything's new. I mean, like, nothing lasts more than 20 or 30 years. And a house, you build a house in 20 or 30 years, it's gone. I mean, it's a jungle. Like, our culture, right, and, like, your culture in Canada, your culture in, in Ireland, is especially in Ireland, especially in Ireland, your culture is one in which... Things are built to last for thousands of years, I mean, like in the States for hundreds of years, in, in Canada for hundreds of years. And here in Panama, things are last, if it lasts a decade, it lasts a long time. And that mentality, that jungle mentality, the jungle just takes back over everything. And so here in prison, I'll tell you this, this, is, this will interest you, I know. Um, um, I know when something bad is going to happen in prison here because it's quiet and I can cut the air with a knife. It's still when it's very still in prison, somebody's going to die. And that's just how it, not maybe, and the stiller and quieter it is, many people are going to die. Because right before a killing, I'm telling you, there is, you, you can feel your hair stand on end, and there's electricity in the air, and there's absolutely no movement whatsoever. Well, energy exists. Now, when we have a church. That's, energy does exist. And, and uh, you can, essentially, it's like even with, to do with whatever, in quotations, magic, but we're talking about like uh, alchemic magic. But essentially that intention of putting yourself in situations, I want to know, like, you can feel essentially the energy um, because I'm sure that like the prison has the most negative energy that you could imagine. On a, on a biological level, really. pheromones alone would probably yeah. set you off. I mean, we are still animals at the end of the day like that. So I'm sure there is something that your brain is picking mm. up on subconsciously sure. that's, you know, a smell in the air or something along those lines. But uh-huh. There's many times in my, that I will go and close. I have a, I'm, I have a, my cell's open. Like, I'm the only one here that's free. Like, me, when I say free, I mean, I'm like unlocked. From, I'm learning from 7 o'clock in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. Everybody else gets an hour and a half out every day. But we're in the same common area. Like, they let three or four out at a time. Like, like depending on how many are in that group of the patio, they'll say, well, you know, like, for instance, 7 o'clock in the morning, they let me out, and they let three others out. But at 8.30, they come and close the other ones in and let three other ones out. You know, and that's 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 how you're, you're, you live your life. You live your life 22 and a half hours closed in, but you're not separated from everybody else because the doors are, you can talk back and forth and stuff. It sounds, it's not like, it really sounds like a dumb question. Fun. What type of food uh, do you guys eat there? Food, man. No, well, like, for instance, you don't, you got to buy your food here, man. You got to buy your food. You got to buy your, like, why does Bill need money? You got to buy your food. You got to buy your toilet paper. They don't give you fucking toothbrush. They don't give you clothes. They don't give you health care. There's no health where I am. There's no health care if you get sick, you fucking die. And that's it. Do I mean, you, they don't give you an aspirin. Do you think that the guards uh, have a death pool? 
No, the guards are like scared shitless, man. I mean, the guards don't rule here. We rule. And so the prisoners rule on the inside. The guards just come and unlock the doors and stuff and try and hope that nobody kills them. You know what I mean? The, the guards walk around with a billy club and the prisoners are armed with firearms. Who do you think runs the show? Um, the, you can't leave. That's the thing. If you try to leave, they'll kill you. The, the guards, the, the, the cops on the outside perimeter will kill you. But apart from that, whatever happens on the inside, pretty much, you know, I'm in the most restricted area. I'm in the most restricted. There's areas that are never closed in. Nobody's ever closed in a cell. You're just kind of thrown in. Everybody's just kind of thrown in there living in ramshackle in the room. I lived in a place in, in the minimum security. I lived in a place that was like, it was the, it was like the lost city. There was 800 men that were loose inside a confined area and they were and that's just it that's i mean at three o'clock in the morning if you want something to eat you have somebody you go to the store and you buy something to eat inside you know and that, that was just and so, so and so i mean like this is a really strange it's not nothing like prison in the states canada ireland uk australia this is not even you can't even compare it this is a fucking concentration camp, you know? uh, i know i touched on it earlier bill um you know about your ability to i suppose survive in a place like that but um uh, has anybody tried to essentially fuck with you since you've been in prison there? Because to me, it sounds like it's not really set up for any kind of, a, you know, um, I suppose, state of reform or anything. You're just kind of thrown in there and they don't really give a shit what happens to anybody for any particular reason. Um, and I, I'm just fascinated by how you've been able to, I suppose... Uh, turn away from that because it seems like it's it's set up to just have all those people in there and they will just continue to behave as they did on the outside well they behave worse a lot worse you get kids that come in here for robbery that leave really well trained assassins you know I mean it's worse and it's just you don't you're not rehabilitated you're dehabilitated in prison here and I think it happens everywhere in all prisons but it really happens here um, you know, the, the, the gang bosses love to see those kids that are 18 years old come in from the streets that are fresh, that, have never, that don't know shit about chat because they, you know, they bring them in and they put them to work and they, they, they train them up and they put them to work. And so, so, so this, that situation, that's one thing. Another thing is like here, you got to join a gang. If you don't have any money, you got to join a gang because you can't live. I mean, there's no way you can't live. You can't make any, you can't, you can't eat, you can't bathe you if you don't belong to somebody somebody doesn't take care of you and the state's not doing it there's no rehabilitation whatsoever here i can't remember what was the first part of your question i'm, I'm sorry aaron um had like you know since you've been in prison um has anybody yes. tried to yes. fuck with you or do, do you find that people um you know have you ever been in situations i don't know how much in detail you can get but in situations where you're like shit there is no way out for me other than to to be wild bill i guess yeah certainly uh, the first year i was in prison i had six different people try to kill me and they wanted to kill me because i'm wild bill and they wanted to be the person to kill wild bill didn't turn out real well for them i mean to be perfectly honest with you and not to brag i mean i'm a bad motherfucker <laughs> i mean really and that's another reason that makes me that makes me that i'm so relaxed i don't need anything to prove to anybody i know who i am i teach martial arts here and boxing um, and the martial arts I teach really isn't, it's like mixed martial arts. It's not something that I was never trained. I, I've never been trained in martial arts, but I used to fight a lot. And, and when I came to prison, there was an MMA club and we fought all, every day. I mean, like you fight every day. It's like some shit off a movie, but it's really true. And then I learned a guy named Cordoba, who was a, a really 
high big time boxer in the, in the international boxing world was in prison and called me to box. And so I, be, I began fighting. I fought, I fought nine times. I lost my first match because I'd never, I'd never boxed before. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I lost my first match, but then I went eight, eight, no undefeated. And, uh, and then got sent here where there's no actual boxing club. Um, and there's some really good boxers in Panama. It's one of the things they're noted for. And so, so I teach boxing here. I, I, I fought MMA, uh, for two years on the inside from 2011 to 2013. But I broke my nose so many fucking times that I was afraid. I'm mean, like, I have a deviated septum that's so bad you can't breathe through it at all. It's just like having a plug there. It doesn't work at all. Yeah, I know people and, that have and, that because and, of cocaine. And, and, <laughs> but then, I, you know, I you asked me a cocaine question. You asked me a cocaine question. I'll tell you a funny story because you guys like funny stories. I was living in Hako with another hitman, and we were on the beach, and we had Hakos in Costa Rica. And there are like a lot of hookers there. Right? But I've never paid any girl for sex in my life. I don't have to. I mean... I don't, I don't, that's like a personal thing for me, but the hookers would come and stay with us and like on their time off, you know, so we had like all these beautiful girls hanging around all the time. Like, Hey, and I would buy cocaine and kilos and I'd never done cocaine in my life, but I would buy in half kilos, 500 grams at a time. And I had it in a safe there and I would bring the girls their breakfast every morning on a mirror. Well, anyway, there's these two little black girls that came in from, from Limon and they were not twins, but they were like, one was a, they were cousins and they looked exactly the same. And I was so excited. I was going to fuck them both, you know, and I was excited about it. And so they're like, Daddy, come and, come and do a line with us. I'm like, no, you know, I don't do that shit. I, I, but, but thanks, but here's some for you guys, you know. I'm like, no. And so they talked me into it. So I did a line of cocaine. I was like, shit, this is great. So then I did another line. I said, this is great. I did another line. I said, let's go upstairs and fuck. And I went upstairs and my dick would do absolutely nothing. And I was horrified. Yeah, I, thought, I thought, oh, my God, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm not. I'm not okay. And the girls are laughing. Like that happens to guys when they do cocaine. I'm like, well, you stupid bitches. Why did you tell me to do cocaine? We're going to get, you know, immediately like we're going to go upstairs and screw and you give me something that's going to make my Johnson not work. So I like, I drank, I drank a bunch of, they gave me milk. I drank milk for like, and waited like two hours and fucked them both. But, but that's my cocaine experience. And the reason I don't use cocaine or didn't on the outside, like if we're going to go fishing, like there's like the four of us, we're all going to go fishing, man. Let's do a couple lines of blow, you know? That sounds good. Yeah. But if they're going to be girls around, it it affects my ability to have sex, and that's like my drug, you know. I like, can fuck your brain up. I've seen I've seen cocaine fuck people's heads up entirely, and um, cocaine and mm. milk reminds me of yeah, David barely. Bowie because David Bowie, David Bowie was addicted to uh, cocaine, milk, and what was it, pickles or cucumbers, peppers? Weird story. So, yeah. So that was that was one thing, and then like I'll tell this story. It's in my book. I want you guys to go buy my book. Someone tell a story out of my book real fast, and then I mean, we're, we're running out of time. But um, yeah, Eric, they've got any more questions. I was I was in the prison. Really, I was really check this out. You'll like this story. I was really famous, right? And they were going to transfer me from the maximum security prison to minimum security prison. And the guy that was transferring me, that the the major that was in, in the major of the police that was in, in like in like in cargo, uh, in charge of the prison transfer was a friend of mine. I knew him. And he said, Hey Bill, when we transfer you, it's like eight hour drive. We're going to pick up a couple of hookers because we're going to stay the night over there and fuck these hookers. And I said, cool. And they're like, poor cops. So these poor guys are going to fuck these two girls, poor girls. So we go, we're driving across the, inter- the, 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 um, the, the river there. Uh, and, and they stop and they pick up these two girls. And they're like 18, 19 years old. Well, they're in the bus and they're, and they're talking to the cop and they ask the cop and he asked, she asked the cop something and the cop says, no, like, no, my friend, the major, says, no, she asked him again. So he comes back and she says, Hey, you want to fuck this, this hooker or you want to fuck this girl? And he didn't say hooker, but you want 
handcuffs go. And I'm like, well, just like disconnect the handcuffs from 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 like the the, the belt and let me at least let bring my hands up. So this girl comes and sits on top of me, and these cops are like the most unchivalrous. They're like this watch. They're like, oh, watch them like like a porno set. I'm like really uncomfortable. I mean, like extremely uncomfortable. So the girl, she straddles me, and and we and I finally finish, and and it's like not really easy to finish because it wasn't very much fun. And she's excited. She takes a picture with me with herself on her BlackBerry. This was back in the time of BlackBerry. She takes a picture of me with her BlackBerry. Then her friend, about an hour later, asked the, asked the company, so you want to fuck the other one? I'm like, yeah. Not really, but yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so we do it again. And so I'm certain that maybe in the history of the world, I'm the only prisoner that's ever fucked two hookers on prison transfer. That's a crazy story. So that's story and, um, I, like- the truth is. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and the thing is, too, as we've had conversations before this, um, and I, I've said this at the beginning of this, that you sound genuine in the way you speak. And um, I can smell bullshit because my prime minister is Justin Trudeau and his he spews bullshit every time he talks. Uh, so I, you seem genuine with what you say. And to me, more or less, it, uh, there, you could gain something you could say, but at the same time, what really would you have the game by talking and telling these stories on a podcast, so to speak? It's not, it doesn't really help your situation. Obviously, hopes maybe you sell more books and stuff like that. Uh, but you know that I do think that when you speak, it sounds genuine. And um, I want to make sure everyone's getting questions before, obviously, this gets wrapped up. Um. Yeah, I, I had a question, uh, Bill. In an ideal world, obviously within uh, within reason for the situation you're in now, how does the rest of your life play out ideally for you? I got a couple of ways to get out of prison legally. Two um, two options. I'm pursuing one right now, and if it fails, I'll pursue the other one. And let's say that I get out. I want to write. I'm a pretty good writer, actually. I wrote a book. That was my first book I published. I'm publishing a second one right now, I'm, and I'm writing it still called Concentration Camp 2000. It's a story of the La Jolla Massacre in 2000, uh, the candid story of the, the La Jolla Massacre in 2019, and just the general situation of prisoners in the Republic of Panama, and that's one thing. Um, and then I want to write, and I want to speak. I'm a good speaker. I'm an entertainer. Uh, I'm a really good entertainer. It seems insane. Like a hitman could go and be an entertainer, but I'm, I think people probably come and listen to me talk. Um, Do some stand-up comedy. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what I want to do with my life. If I can get out and get back to the States or, or even, I, I would really like to go to Europe. I, I don't really want to go back to the States. I'd like to go, I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to go and, you know, I, li- I got a lot of friends in the UK, a lot of friends in the UK and I've got some German friends too. And, so I really like it over there. I mean, I don't know if I like it over there. I've, I've been to UK before, but but I think I, I think I'd like to go over there. I like I like being the different one. I like being the one that's not the same in the states. There's every other idiot looks like me and is like me, and so so I, you know there's nobody like me is there. But but I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, I'm not oh, that yeah. special. And I like being I like being in a, in a, in, a, in a world where I'm the only one. No, it makes so sense. A lot of people yeah. want to be. They wouldn't let mm-hmm. you in Canada. Um, I couldn't even leave my country for two years because I didn't get a needle that they wanted me to. So, <laughs> exactly, Australia either. I, can't, I got a lot of people, I got a lot of chicks that want to that I want to I want to see in Australia. I love the Australian girls, but let's I talk can't about that. Actually, either. that's a good let's, question. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, let's talk about so because because I got I got a lot. Of- yeah, because uh, okay, obviously I've studied. Uh, I'm not saying you're a serial killer. 
uh, but I've studied serial killers and true crime, and there's always um, a flock of women. These women come out of the woodwork because, I don't know, a lot of times they think that they can either fix the men that have the issues or they're turned on by it in some way because it is taboo, you could say. And this happens all the time. Richard Ramirez had the, the women in black. They would show up to his prison outside of his window. Uh, Ted Bundy had this. Um, numerous crime figures had this too. Uh, so do you get a lot of letters uh, from females, and you get a lot of letters in general from people, and what do they say? Well, I have Wild Bill hoes. I have Wild Bill hoes, and I love my hoes. Um, they, I, I embraced it, actually. I, I was a big, fat, ugly-looking fucker when I got put in prison, and I didn't like that, so I put myself in great physical condition. I'm a fairly attractive man um, today. If you can look at any current pictures of me, you'll see that I'm a fairly attractive man. And we've I been showing really we've been showing pictures throughout this whole episode. Yeah, so you know, I, I I was really nervous around girls, when I, my whole life actually. And when I got put in prison, I became a celebrity. And so for like three years, I got to fuck a lot of girls, like a lot, like hundreds of different girls in prison while I was in prison, like. You know, kind of in prison, like a minimum security prison, you know, a hundred dollar bribe, you get four or five hours, you know, in your, in your cell with a girl. So, I mean, that was one thing. And, and like all the Panamanian girls came out to fuck Wild Bill. And so I became a ladies man overnight. And then that shit gets old. I mean, you wouldn't the think phone quality is making me think of coast I'm not to coast. Bulgarian, too, it's you know? great. I mean, it gets old to me. I, they're all the same. There's no substance at all. It's a, like I had, I married a Panamanian woman, which was a, just a horrible mistake, and um, got divorced. And now I have, I have, I have a Panamanian girlfriend who's just wonderful. So I mean, like you know, there are good people and bad people everywhere. It's not just can't group anybody together. But what what I like to say about that, I have Wild Bill hose, and my my hose, I even sold shirts for a long time. I'm trying to be more serious now. When I first started being like a personality, I was like going to make make a dark joke out of the whole thing. You know what I mean, like. I even drew caricatures of myself like a monster and stuff, and I, and I sold them. And, and I, I was going to make a joke out of it, but I, I, my convictions, my my conscience, God, Jesus Christ bothered me, you know, like the Holy Spirit bothered me. And he's like, hey, is that really what you want, the legacy you want to leave behind? And it's not. The legacy I want to leave behind is like, you know, anybody can change, even Wild Bill. If Wild Bill can change, what's your excuse? Get your ass in gear and change and be a better person. And so that's, I wanted to be more serious. And so I stopped selling my Wild Bill host. I sold, I sold panties with my face on them. And I had a I had a commercial, and it went like this. This is the commercial it went. Ladies, would you like a little Wild Bill on your hoo-ha? Well, buy yourself a pair of pants with my face on it. You know, that was like how the commercial went. And <laughs> I sold the shit out of them too for a long time. There's like a lot of girls walking around with their face on my on my face on their cooter. You know, that's pretty you cool. Do, you, like, do like, like a, you do have a radio voice. You could definitely um, if you, you could do a podcast because you do have a radio it's voice. Wild Bill coming to you from inside the most dangerous prison in Central America. You know, I do have a radio. I got a, got a face for radio, man. So anyway, um. Uh, not- <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was um, that was one thing I did, and so uh, I have a lot of girls that like me, and I love my girls, and I treat them, treat them with respect. And and like one guy, one lady got offended. One like well, actually, men, men get offended more to me because I call my girls hoes. And like, why did you call them hoes? Because I can. Bitches I can be hoes, man. Hoes and Bitches they be hoes. As Snoop Dogg even, said. Even if, even if, even if, bitches ain't shit. Uh, but I can call them hoes because I'm Wild Bill, and you can't, you stupid motherfucker. But I can. I'm Wild Bill, and so I call everyone. Who's like Wild Bill? 
And so I don't, I mean, I never did before, but I'm I, just I did joking. kind of okay. as a joke, you know? Yeah, it's a good, I, I get where you're coming from. Kid Bundy, Kid Bundy had his hose, and that's that was where the term came from. I, I, I did on the interview, and I said, well, all these Ted Bundy hoes keep writing me, asking me serial killer, serial killer questions, and I'm not a fucking serial killer, I don't, and I don't want to be one either. That's, that doesn't even sound like, ugh, God. You know, I want to be a little far away from that. And and so I said, he's got his hose. Well, I got my hose, so I called him Wild Bill hose, and I made shirts, and all the girls wanted the shirt. You know, they bought blankets. There were blankets, Wild Bill hose. I'm a Wild Bill hoe, it said in the blanket, and you know, she's sleeping in her Wild Bill hose blanket. God bless you, darling. Daddy loves you. I think uh, yeah, that's actually really funny. But Bill, yeah. how how difficult uh, I suppose was it to not completely lean into that? Because just from hearing you talk, I I can, uh, you know, and obviously with no real perspective on it, but just from you know the stories you've told so far, uh, I can kind of see how this thing could snowball into a situation, and then you know, you get to a stage where it's like you're you're drinking your own Kool-Aid, I guess, and you're going like, yeah, I, I am fucking wild, Bill, and and I can it do whatever, and, sense, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to sell fucking you, blankets with my name on it and stuff. What you just said is the key. I, I drank my own Kool-Aid, and it put me where I am. I'm wise. Wise, I'm wise because of the, the hammer, hammer strokes that I felt on my head. I know I'm not fooled anymore. I know that I'm just a dumb fucker that is in a weird situation. I know that I'm not special, you know? I know that. But I didn't before. When I was killing people, when I was out in the world, flying my airplane, scrogging all the girls, doing all the shit, doing all the coke, making all the money, sleeping on a bed with a million dollars under, under beneath it. You know, I thought, I, did it. I thought that I was really some kind of special shit. But I'm not. I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude living a life, and I'm not stupid enough to make that same mistake twice. And that's the thing. What you said, I started to do what exactly what you were asking. I started to get consumed, like like all these girls love me and all these things and all this. And I started to get consumed by it. And I said, I'm not. I'm not going to do it for money. I'm not. I'm not going to do it again because I was rich and I was fucking miserable, and now I'm poor as hell. I'm so poor and I'm so happy. I sleep like a baby every night, and I don't want to be in prison. I don't want to be in hell. But even though, even even though I am in this place, I'm happy. And a lot of people are out there in the world and they're not happy. And I, they're in a much better position. Than I am. And I'm happy. Happiness. And, so, and, and like, Hey man, I wouldn't trade my happiness. Happiness for is, a, is a state Fuck of that. mind. Um, and, and I mentioned, uh, I'm going to let Aaron uh, talk, but I mentioned to you that I use psychedelics, stuff like that. I would like to see them use it more in prison facilities. And I think it could change situations for certain prisoners and their mental health for sure. Um, but let Aaron, uh, come into this conversation yeah i was i was just gonna ask uh i guess to follow on from that question uh, you know you spoke about at one point uh maybe the point of your life being chicks money drugs whatever uh for you now i guess what what do you feel like the the, the point of of life yeah. is or your life is um I don't even necessarily mean from from a point of view of like you know what would you like to do, but what do you feel like you know the point of your existence is? Well, like the whole reason I'm even doing this show is because I want people to be very careful about the choices that they make in life. Because I didn't wake up one day and want to be a killer. I woke up one day and made a bad choice, and I made a bad choice on top of that bad choice, and I made a thousand other bad choices that led me down this road. So my, I am a prophet. I am the prophet that's come to tell you to be very careful about what you put your attention on. Put your attention on good things. Don't worry about bad things. Don't even pay attention. Don't watch the fucking news. Turn the news off. Don't watch movies about, I mean, like, 
which is going to like be against what <laughs> against most of the people who listen to this, but don't watch movies about killing people and all that sort of shit. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you want for your life? Focus on that. What you what would you want yeah. for your kids? Focus on that. And that's another thing too. Pay careful attention to what your children are listening to, what they're what they're participating in, so on and so forth. Because this world, your mind is generating your future, your decisions. What you think becomes what you say, and what you say becomes what you do, and what you do becomes your habits, and your habits become your character, and your character becomes who you are. I do agree. So with it that. all starts with what. I- is it all starts with what you think and what you're putting in? What are you taking in? What are you spending time thinking about? Because in this life, you get two things. Listen to this. If you've never listened to anything I've said before, listen to this. In this life, you get two things. You get what you want and you get what you fear. Why? Because those are the two things you spend the most time thinking about. You spend the time thinking about what you'd really like to have, and you spend the most time thinking about what you're afraid of. Stop fucking being afraid. Stop thinking yeah. about things you're afraid of. I ain't got time to worry about nobody killing me. If that happens, well, it's already, it's already written down anyway. My day to die is already written down. I ain't got time to worry about that shit. I'm trying to enjoy the day. A wise woman once said to me, what you fear, you bring near. It's true. You get what you fear. What are you afraid? I was afraid to go to jail. Horrified to go to prison. Where am I in prison? I'm afraid of reptilians. I was afraid I would lose my life. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they'll, maybe they'll come in for a drink later, you know? <laughs> but, but, but I was afraid, I was afraid to lose my wife. I lost my wife. I, you know, I ain't got time to be afraid of shit. You know, I don't have time to be afraid of anything anymore. I, I have so many hopes and dreams and, I'm doing impossible. It's impossible that I could be speaking to you here. This is pretty incredible. The fact that, that we're even doing this anyway. And you know, and I like, and I don't like, and, and people like, you know, might get triggered or offended or, you know, think what we're doing here is crazy or something like that. But at the same time, like this is the world we live in and, uh, you know, crimes are committed all around the world. Every second that we're talking about this, someone's getting murdered or something's happening that is atrocious and bad. But this idea of that, like, we have to understand too, that we are all still humans living this like experience, uh, so to speak. So to hear it from someone uh, like a perspective that most people maybe don't hear it from, I think does hold some validity and value. Um, towards people to understand that at least according to you and what we're getting from the conversation is that you do just you want to be a better person you want to excel and still live a life here but you've also spent 12 years in prison so you've had a lot of time to think because all you do is think and sit around and have to ponder over life and your life and what you've done and stuff like that you know, I'll tell you something though. What you said last isn't true. I don't spend a di- I don't spend a minute thinking about the things I did in the past. I don't have time for that shit. And people say, well, "I thought you were repentant." I'm totally repentant. I-, I would never repeat any of those terrible things I did, and I'm embarrassed of them. But I don't spend any time thinking about them because there ain't a damn thing I can do about changing them. What do you so, think you know, about I mean, I've moved on. Um, why I'm going to eat tomorrow? Why Why Billy Bob wants to kill Joe Bob? Um, what do I need to do about that? You know, what do I, I mean, like, it's my job, right? I'm trying to keep the do peace. Do you try to be a mediator, did you find, if, if there is conflict? I am the government assigned mediator between the gangs. That's my job. That's my function here. That's why I'm loose inside the prison. I, and I'm good at my job. I, 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 what, I mean, like, I, I worry about my son. I have a, a, a small son who's, who's 16 months old. I worry about him. I, I want to make sure that he's educated properly and doesn't grow up to be another Panamanian. You know what I mean? Uh, I worry about my girlfriend and make sure she's okay. I, I support her from inside here. She supports me too. 
Um, I, you know, I have a life, man. I'm good life. I have a life. Yeah, and yeah. This is the thing that pisses a lot of people off. Because you're living in I have a better life than most of you motherfuckers. I have a better life than most of you motherfuckers listening to this, if you want the truth. And, and, and that's because I choose to, because I, I choose to not allow my limitations, you know, of my past. You can't do anything about the things you've done in your life. You know, you sit around worrying about what you did. You can't do it. I mean, but you shouldn't repeat it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm totally repentant. Well, you're, you're not, you're not, uh, you're, you don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. I did. I, I spent time feeling bad, so I stopped and I changed myself. I made myself better to never make those mistakes again. I don't have to feel bad about it anymore. I've been forgiven. If, the, if, if man doesn't want to forgive me, man can run his, run his tongue down the crack of my ass. I don't care. You know, I don't care what anybody listening to this thinks about me. Those of you who'd like to interact with me, I'd like to interact with you. And those who'd like, those of you who'd like to hate on me, please, please lick my sweaty nuts out. <laughs> no, and I do, I do understand that, obviously, because like, who else are you gonna be but yourself, essentially? And you know that you're you're in the position that you're in, and as a, someone that an outside perspective, there's no changing it. Essentially, like there's nothing you can do. You kind of have to accept certain things in life. I feel like um, I've never murdered someone, but I've accepted my own bullshit that I've done in my past. So I understand that perspective because what else could you do? You can't you can't just sit there for twelve years and constantly think about the bad things you've done. You kind of have to go towards more of a positive mindset and progression. And now you're you're a pastor of like 150 people. I read 157. Our church has 157 people that come. Like the, tomorrow, I'm speaking about gratitude. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my sermon in a, in a nutshell, in a two minute nutshell right now. Gratitude. I'm thankful that God gave me another day on the earth. I'm really appreciative. I appreciate God's giving me another day on the earth. God is a God who only knows how to say yes. He doesn't know how to say no. God doesn't know how to say no. When you say, I'm really sad, I'm really pissed off, things are going really bad in my life, God says, yes, they are. Have some more of that shit. And when you say, hey, you know, things are not the best, but I'm okay. I have my health. I'm hungry, but I've got a little something to eat later. God says, oh, you're thankful for those things. Have a little bit more. God only knows how to say yes. Use gratitude. Feel it. Spend a moment just in gratitude to the, to the creator of the universe. Thank you, God, for my life. Thank you for caring so much about me not to kill me even though I killed other people. Thank you for giving me a second opportunity. And you know what? Your life will get better every moment. I don't know a soul who's listening to this whose life is harder than mine. Now, my life is hard because it's my own fault. I made those choices and I did those things. It's my fault my life is hard, but it is hard. And it's harder than your life. And I'm happy. What is your excuse? Yeah, that, uh, that, uh, it makes sense. Um, is there any further questions that anybody has, Aaron, Anton? Uh, I have two, I guess. Um, is there, is there something that people on the outside may take for granted? Obviously from uh, outside of the obvious ones, you know, of being free and stuff. Um, is, is there anything in particular that like you really I'm miss anymore, from, so I guess, regular life that a lot of people would take for granted? And also, your your book that you're writing um at the minute. What can people expect to hear about in that book? And also, is there plans to uh, write a, a third book after that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the book question first, uh, the, the book is about, it's called concentration camp 2000 and it deals. You know, there's two parts to the book. It's really, it's like really two short mini books in one book. 
The first is the La Jolla Christmas Massacre that occurred in 2019, and I've researched it, talked to the people. They're here with me, the people who perpetrated it. Sounds I know like I've Holocaust. talked to some of the people who are on the, who are on the outside, um, and, I, and I've researched it really thoroughly. And the reason I want to bring that story to the world is because it's a story that nobody else even understands. They can't understand it. There's like 15 people were killed. But why? Or how? How could that happen? And how could it be that in a prison, prisoners have AK-47? How could that be? I want to explore all of those questions and talk about it. The second part of it is about Sector C, Panama's, where I am, where I live, Panama's clandestine torture facility that's used by the United States, Canada, uh, the U.K., and Australia. Um, and how it's used by the international community and what it consists of and what kind of torture is it. That those things I, I want to talk about, I want to bring those things to life. And the world is important that the world knows those questions. What was your first question, Aaron? I'm sorry. Uh, it was just uh, around, like, is, is there anything in particular outside of the obvious uh, things that people, I guess, in, in regular everyday may, may take for granted that, you now see, um, I, I guess, as something you miss or being extremely important? Well, like, I think that things that I took for granted was the love that other people showed me that I didn't give back. The love that my family gave me that I threw away like a fucking idiot. The love that a woman once gave me that I did, that I walked all over her. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't return her respect and love. Um, things I can't get back, my family, things I can't, I can't fix. I can't, what do I miss from here? I tell you something I miss in here terribly. And this is strange, but I miss the way a woman smells. Isn't anything more beautiful? And I don't, I'm not talking about sex. I'm not, but just the presence of a woman in the room makes just the presence of a woman, the way she smells, the way she moves, the way she drinks coffee, the way, the way she laughs, the way that she cries. The, I mean, so it's something so wonderful, wonderful. I love women, and I don't mean it. I'm not talking in a dirty way. Now, just the presence of women is so wonderful, and I'm so deprived of that here in hell. All my closest friends are actually women. They really are. I, I don't have that many close friends as men because I seem to make men unhappy, nervous being around other. I mean, either either they're a follower or 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 an enemy. I can't I can't have a male friend. Just because of, I, I don't know, I just, being the boss is just, I just can't. I don't know, it's, I, I don't know why I can't. I, it's, not because, it's not because I don't want to, but I miss the presence, the wonderful and, and feminine presence of, of women. God, they're so wonderful, aren't they? And they're so, and I've been removed from them for 12 years. I mean, I've had a lot of sex, but that's not, that's not what I'm talking I'm not even talking about that. You know, um, man, I think, true yeah. man, real man, alpha man, nothing without a woman. Yeah, uh, that makes total sense to me because obviously when you're being brought in escorts, you could say hookers, essentially what is the prostitutes, um, they're there to serve a job and a lot of them have horrible mental health and obviously have faced their own atrocities. So they're using that as a means to gain finances and it's, it's not the same as, uh, uh, you know, the, the love of a, a woman that's not a paid prostitute. Gotta love them girls that have daddy issues. Come and sit next to daddy, baby. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to close out? Does anyone have any more questions before we close this out? Um, I thought this went fairly well because we had thought we had technical difficulties. Everything came through loud and clear. Um, very interesting conversation. Uh, but if you, Anton or Aaron, have any more like last kind of questions, I would say do them now before probably his phone dies. 
Guys, I really appreciate you letting me be on the show. God bless each and every one of you. I, I hope that in some way it was educational. And the thing I'd like for John Q. Public or G, Janie Q. Public, who's listening to this podcast, to take away is just be careful what you focus on. And also, it doesn't matter where you are in life. In the deepest ditch, you can still be happy and you can still pull, your, pull yourself out, but you're going to have to fucking work at it. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you for doing this and even shouting us out. This was uh, an opportunity uh, that we decided to take that many people may have not. Um, but I thought this was worth the time and the, it, it valued something uh, to me that I think people can take away from this conversation. Uh, but thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. God bless you. I'll uh, see you, Bill. You, you, United States in Ireland. And in Panama, we're a real international bunch. God bless. I'm gone. Yeah, see you, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thank you very much. All right. Um, <laughs> let's talk. <clears throat> uh, I, 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 want, uh, I want Anton to go first because I could tell by his body language for like the last 20, 30 minutes that there's definitely something on his mind. There were a lot of contradictions in the last 20, 30 minutes of shit mm-hmm. that he said. I know. And, that, and then for all the, uh, the audio listeners... Um, if you only saw our expressions, this is will be up on YouTube. But essentially, I was, you know, I'm trying to make light of this dark situation. That's what I do on this podcast. Uh, but I was making a lot of faces. <laughs> I mean, it's... we've both been smoking consistently this yes. whole episode. I yeah. smoked like three bowls, two of which This is a light weed pen, <laughs> and then my weed pen died, and I was like, no. Oh, like... I, got a piece, I got a piece so bad right now, though. So I might have to okay. do that and then pop back in for banter. But um, no, so like, he... Uh, yeah, I, my life is is perfect right now. My life is the worst it's ever been. I live a life that's better than most people. Yeah. My life absolutely sucks. Whether or not that's just the highs and lows of of inside the 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 prison, but like, I'm sure your mental health can't be that great, and you have the egotistical like behavior of like. Because he, you can tell, you know. No, he it, walks around like king shit for sure. I'm sure he does. Mm, there's there was definitely. Uh, it was very contradictory, I think, because he was like, you know, I've repented. And I kind of get what he means in the sense of like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for what I've done or whatever, but I don't sit around thinking about it all the time. Right. And I know that kind of comes across like extremely like selfish, which in a lot of ways it is. It I is, get what he was. Yeah. Kinda, He's in a survival that's situation. Why I said though. That. I that's like, why I that's said probably that. necessary to yeah. not like if you're if you're yeah. distracted with your, you know, your your misdeeds of the past, you're probably going to get killed. That's but, why I said yeah. I want people to understand that perspective. Yes, he murdered five people. But like I Kate, it, I have to think about what and I've done this with tons of true crime cases is how would I be in this situation? Right. And the fact that I've been fascinated by this stuff since I was a kid, like I was researching fucking Paul Bernardo and Carlo Mokona was like 17 after hearing it in law class. Like this idea of like, and me and Aaron have had this conversation on a Patreon episode. So go fucking pay for that. But essentially of like trying to put your <laughs> shoes. Nice yeah, yeah. He plugged a lot of stuff on there. Uh, but like with the, the sh- what, like, you know, how would you fill these people's shoes? What would it feel like? What would it be like? Um, essentially. And that's why I, I kind I, what would I do after 12 years after I've done something, I've been in prison. I'd be like, how the fuck am I supposed to keep living in this guilt? You'd have to just right. like leave it. And- Did you guys think like, I mean, a, the, uh, 16 month old baby. Okay. I want to see your parents. Yeah. Like- yeah. I was, I was shocked. By that, I, see, I saw but, uh, Aaron's face. Name- laugh. I was like, what the fuck? But then he did say like that he like, I think he's been like married and divorced twice since he's been in jail. Now, how official those marriages were, I don't really know. But um, 
I will say, right, and this is probably going to come across really bad and make anyone who listens to this think I'm a piece of shit of a person, but I was trying to really, like, put myself into his situation, and I can kind of... That's why I asked the Kool-Aid question. Mm-hmm. I can kind of see how, once you get into that life and it starts to fucking spiral, how it ends up being, like, I suppose it's like the, the Conor McGregor effect where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the fucking baddest, I'm the toughest, I'm the... And the this and the that. And I can kind of see a little bit. And I don't personally think he's gotten rid of that because no. every now and again he would come out with something. I mean, the fact that he even would do this in the first place is yeah. kind of you, you know, it's hard to figure do out you the think motivation. That ever goes he's probably going to listen to this too. This is the thing. And, and this is not an against him necessarily. But no. I, I just, I don't think that. Um, that whole Wild Bill persona is completely gone. Like when I asked the question no, about no. like, does anybody fuck with you? He's like, who's going to fuck with me? I'm the baddest one in here. Mm-hmm. I'm Wild Bill and all this. Yeah. Well, he was he, going he, off about Wild Bill's hose as well. You know, which, there, there was definitely still like tooting his own horn a little bit. It's but egotistical, I, but how are you not egotistical in a, in a prison system? Because you have to be. It's like, it, it's yeah. trying to be a rapper and not be egotistical because that you have to talk about yourself and your fucking shit. And it, to me, like, because he's in a prison system setting, right? Where you have to be fucking big, strong. If, if you're even anyway, kind of feminine or even mm-hmm. kind of even came off off as a pussy you would be mm-hmm. a target and you would be someone's bitch for a long time and maybe so do you guys that think way. that like the uh, the switch from the maximum or the minimum to the maximum came because he just ran out of money like he was living too large think, in Barry? prison that's that's where yeah, my brain was going with that yeah I, I like i think that has something to definitely do with it i think it's a huge part of it um and i i do from a little bit of research i don't you read that article do know, right that he mentioned yeah yeah, the one from the mirror. I actually had that on the screen when he was talking about that. Oh no, shit! Um, it, uh, but from what I gather, I would imagine that had a lot to do with it. Was running out of money, and then, um, he, I think he started to cause problems. I know he said something else there about uh, that article and whatever. But I think within the the jail itself, he started to cause problems in the sense of. Uh, I think he was trying to use his like wild bill power to get, you know, get friends off with stuff. And like the other prisoners were getting fucked with and he's tried to like step in and be again. This is why I, I like it's like the, the Conor McGregor thing. Like he, he tries to be like hey, larger hey, in life. Hey, I think. Hey, everybody calm down. OK, while Bill is here, I'm here. Yeah, to like and I think he, he probably thought I, and I, I'm nearly sure I listened to a show where he talked about it. He was like, yeah, I basically thought that like, well, this is my prison. And the only reason I'm inside this prison is because I choose to be for right now. So. He started trying to like tell guards what to do and tell, the, and then it. Your mindset. That's why I kept asking about his mindset because it's like I want to know what's going on up here, and he'll never exactly tell you because he's playing no. a character of who he is. And in those people in those settings, because even the small amount of I've seen in, in jail settings and stuff like that, nobody is trying to act vulnerable. Everyone's well, got a fucking shield on. They got a riot shield in front of their face. You just can't fucking see it. We're three total strangers. I don't think for one moment that somebody is going to open up to three total strangers yeah. like that. Uh, uh, truly open up, like like. Hey, and, and hey show Bill, when's the last time you cried, man? How, what's the last time? 
Jesus okay. Christ, he's gonna get out and murder all of us. I can't come to Canada just to go with my name. I got nothing. <laughs> honestly, from the conversations I've had, uh, I have issues with some of the things he's said. But at the same time, I knew what I was getting into when we had this conversation. Like I knew what was gonna mm-hmm. happen essentially, and I knew the questions I wanted to ask. So, and that's why I said for the people that get offended by this, like shut the fuck up. It's, it's what we do here. I would like to talk about, I would like to talk more. Uh, we talk about true crime all the time. And I like, I've had people give me reviews and shit because of some of my points of views. And it's just like, then don't listen to the show. This is what we're trying to do is something different. We got presented this opportunity and I took it. Yeah. This yeah, was I, I, interesting. Yeah. And I like, I don't think for a second, you know, because we've done this, that any of us support what he's done. No, or I think no, it's a good thing or, no. or anything like that. It's not, but I, I do, uh, I do think it was quite fascinating to talk to somebody in that situation. And, and you pointed out there a second ago, Anton, how, uh, th- there's, I think maybe so many highs and lows and you can see where he kind of has maybe a little bit of a split personality and it's hard to kind of, maybe he does want to be a different person or wish that none of this shit ever happened. But then that's why I kept asking him about like life in prison. How do you not get fucked with if you're this like super nice guy who just says his prayers every day and like loves everybody and shares all your stuff, but you've got no money to pay anyone off. How are you not dead? Or how do you not have to fucking smash people every day? He probably he, well, has if, to. If the he prison is want. the way he says it is, yeah. that nobody cares when somebody gets murdered, then he probably does. He probably has to fight all the time. He's a big dude. I actually wanted to ask the question, have you ever one-punched somebody? Because, like, I just, like, because he's a big dude, I'm sure, if, like, you just got to throw your weight into a fucking punch. He, like, all those little Spanish dudes, he could fucking knock them out. But, like, you know what I mean? So you'd have to fucking fight to survive. And that's why I kept yeah. saying, like, you yeah. ha- he's thinking about himself, okay? Either well, it's a, sel- a selfish mindset, but the thing is, in his state of being in his mental health and who he is he has to fight or he dies yeah, yeah. he doesn't exist anymore was, if he doesn't do that i had a question that i was worried might be too dark but uh the way he was describing the prison and it being as horrible as it is it was like does anybody just ever have had enough of it and just walk outside and just get shot by the guards, just like suicide by cop. It just you could have like, asked you know that. Nope, I uh, I would have been curious to to hear because like I'm sure like I I was trying to dive deeper into like because I'm fascinated obviously by true crime and and it sounds fucked but murder and stuff like that. I've been I was raised on fucking horror movies. And, yeah, and, and, well, yeah, when and he was just music. like don't watch movies of people killing each other. I'm like I I love. Horror I was movies. raised on horror movies. Oh, and I was raised on artists like Necro, which I'm trying to get Aaron into because maybe I want to get him on the show because like he talked in points of view of like Charles Manson and all these like serial killers and I was like 13, 14 so to get this opportunity to someone like me that has been interested in this stuff is quite fascinating you could say yeah and I, I didn't really agree with that whole like um, I, I did it in, in parts where he said uh, you know be careful what you consume X, Y, and Z or that makes sense. maybe more so about uh, maybe more so about um, you know be careful the, the the life i guess your kids are leading yeah like i have an eight-year-old boy so i can kind of attest to that there's a i think a massive issue there which is handing them like ipads and fucking i don't want to do game that. consoles and shit it, i think plan. in a different way it fucks them up but this thing of being like oh you know don't watch anything to do with true crime or don't That's like satanic the harm panic movies. bullshit yeah and it's like dude like i mean just for example look behind me and look at my fucking arms <laughs> yeah, exactly. and like i didn't like your ghost ship I, tattoo is fucking dope and it's just funny i love that it you dude. have a ghost ship so tattoo. Good. 
So yeah, it's, 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 the, it's literally the satanic panic bullshit. Yeah. It's the this causes this. It's like no, it doesn't. And I was gonna say, that, and like, I, and he watches his fucking interviews and stuff anyone. like that. So understand, man, we're coming from a different perspective, and we are just fucking three people trying to analyze your situation. If you end up seeing this afterwards, because it could happen, he's gone through his YouTube stuff. He's told me, um, but like the fact that like all of these prisoners, including fucking Dahmer, and I'm not can fucking saying that you are Dahmer, dude, but like essentially like these people, and we're actually. When this releases, the Dahmer episode should be out. So fucking Dahmer just like went to, he's like, oh, Jesus, I'm a fucking Christian now, absolved of all my sins, so to speak. But he, Dahmer's an interesting person that you'll hear about what me and Aaron discuss uh, about him. But essentially, like, it's just like all these people that turn towards Jesus and think that he's going to soak up mm-hmm. all your guilt and sins is not true. Y'all know where I stand on that. Yeah, I'm not a fucking... Uh, I know I said it uh, at the beginning of this podcast, but the more I'm not a Satanist, I'm not nothing, I am who I am. I don't believe in labeling yourself, but this idea that you need... I pray to my higher self. I don't pray to anything else but who I am. Uh, that, that's, and, and I just hate the Christian Christian hypocrisy. That's, it's that's it's my, always that's Christians. It. It's, it's sometimes it's Catholics, but it's always Christians that are like, Jesus, save me. I've killed oh, seven Oh, born people. again is a whole fucking thing, and it, there's a reason that it's generally like mostly addicts and hardcore criminals that yeah. become born again Christians just because they've fucked up so badly that they, that's what they have to do. And if it makes yeah. them a better person, good, I support it. But yeah. more often than not, it makes them very judgmental and, uh, you know, reinforced with their bullshit. I, so. I really wanted to jump in there when he went on his like, uh, and again, I don't mean this in like a, an offensive way, but when he went on like his Jesus Christ ranting, yeah, I kind of wanted to jump in and just be like, nah, what if I don't believe in that though? Yeah, because yep. I and I have even said this set like I was talking to a guy at work that we were doing this and but it, didn't, it wasn't about this conversation. But I said something like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. It could be recycled stories based on fucking Horace. So like all this stuff that always people always bring up, it's a fictitious thing that was created. And I'm not against anyone that is religious. I've said this a million times in the podcast. I just don't believe in labeling shit. And I think that whoever we are beyond this is probably just like Jesus if he was a real person. So that's my point of view because we're all, we're all gods and goddesses are all rights. We're all, I'd love that. I slipped in the reptilian thing. I was like, bang. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, I was waiting for it. Did you see any lizard people in jail, man? I'm glad oh, man. I asked him those par- like parent like normal questions. That the fact that you saw that guy's he gave ghost. the answer that I expected on that. Honestly, yeah. it Jesus was very person. yeah. No, not even just that. But just being like, no, I ain't see no ghosts, man. Fuck that. Because he and doesn't want to say that he's the... insane, though. He wants to come across yeah. as sane as possible, so he I wouldn't guess. say anything. And then when he said that he actually saw the guy's ghost, yeah, that was... if that is true, yeah, big it kind of makes sense because the the being, the person that you murdered, might come back to try to fu- haunt you or fuck with you and be like, yeah, look what you did to me. So it's bad, but <laughs> well, yeah, even subconsciously, just your brain fucking with you. Yes. And then when he was talking about like everything in the air is quiet, like I can tell it's like, yeah, it's probably like a baser animal instinct that's kicking in being like, yo, some shit's that's about to go mind, down. Yeah. So get somewhere fucking safe if you can or get ready to fight. Like it's your body preparing because it's picking up on all of the like subconscious cues that you're not, you know, consciously processing. I'm stoned as fuck right now. There was another there was another uh, thing that he he uh, jumped on. I can't remember which one of us said something, but he was like, I want to make it clear that it was strictly women or something like that. Yeah. And I just found that that was a really... Sure it was. Yeah, but I just found it was a really strange, like for a guy who 
is supposedly you know repenting and all this stuff and he's such a good nice guy and loves everybody and smiles at everybody and it just seemed like such a weird thing to like shoehorn in there out of nowhere and he's like i want to make that really clear i want everybody to understand that it was strictly women and like I was get, I was going to actually ask the, and I was like, no, just because I, fuck, if you know me at all about listening to this podcast, I don't give a fuck. Um, I was going to ask uh, about the rape stuff in prison. Be like, how bad mm. is it? Is it that bad? Because it's pretty bad even in Canada from what I've fucking heard. So That's imagine. Shit out of me. Oh, yeah. Imagine <laughs> a pan, I've, oh, fuck it. I would, if I was in a Panamanian prison, I would be somebody's bitch. Fucking so. so. Right. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. And I suppose in a way, maybe to like get the clothes. I'd hold the guy's pocket as he walks around like, yes, master. <laughs> on on him as a as a as a dude and and it's what you think about him now having talked to him for the last two hours or whatever um it, uh, i personally if i really try and put myself like in his life story to the little knowledge i have of it i can kind of see myself maybe i don't even know if i'd be able to do what he's doing now with that whole spiel but like you know i'm i'm trying to be good i'm trying to be I think I would have leaned so hard into the wild building just out of pure fear. Mm. Yeah, I would. I don't want to be like. I don't want to be raped. I don't want to be stabbed today. I don't want to be like made do anything. I don't want to do like against my will or whatever. Yeah. Um. And I think just out of pure fear, I could see myself like really leaning into that. Like, he, okay, yeah. I can use this to my advantage. So I'm going to smash everybody. So I'm. That's not what gonna you say. When, so when he Aaron, says someone it, is murdered once a day, it's him doing it. <laughs> well do you think that so maybe it is like you were saying like somewhat of a split like the person who we spoke to is his public face whereas the person that he has to be on the inside is wild bill yeah like that's that's the impression that i was left with what about you guys like how do you feel he was he he said that he works for the government in there as a prison chaplain Mm -hmm. which was interesting yes there's stuff that he's he uh, my candle went out. I was gonna blow it out. Like, are you afraid of the dark? Oh, is that one of the ones with the the, it the changes light color? The, yes, it's I love those candles. Sick. Those are great. Um, that's what we had for the Halloween special. For all the audio listeners, I, the candle was burning in the background. I was gonna do, are you afraid of the dark? And then, Aaron, <laughs> do you know what are you afraid of the dark is? Did you watch? Of course it? I do. Okay, good. Of course I now do. We're talking about that. Midnight for, Society. Oh yeah, we, we were talking about doing the 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 fucking talking about that actually for the show. Um, but like. this was a crazy opportunity and we took it um you know we went from talking to tommy chong to fucking this guy so it's kind of crazy and i'm sure that you don't know what's gonna happen on strange brew we there might be other things down the road to do with stuff around true crime um who knows i want to know like final thoughts i did have something i was gonna say and i did forget but uh it's okay no this is super interesting i um I did for all the listeners. I didn't look into this much no. more than surface level. I wanted to go in and just not know you anything to pull a and billy. just hear it. Yeah. Well, I didn't want my own like confirmation bias or prejudices from looking up his shit to co- to like. You know what Chelsea take, said? She's like, "Don't have hear him and that talk to him first, <laughs> and like, then like go in and look into his shit." Because now I feel like I have a, a better understanding of at least a portion of his personality. I don't even so I can, know I can what kind would of better analyze yeah. the story itself. Yeah, essentially, like I would have loved to bring Billy on some of this shit, but I don't know what the fuck that dude's gonna say. Like Billy that might be would like, be, um, he might say some, sh- he might not, because Billy doesn't give a fuck, right? So he yeah. might just say something like out of the blue of like, ah, like I don't know about that, and then he gets angry 
angry over the phone. That's what I was like trying to avoid of like maybe fucking don't include. Great I feel like ones. dude would have hung up on us. I don't think he'd. I, mean, I don't know. But you know, you know what this has got me wondering. You think we could get Joe Exotic? Oh, that would be that would be fucking, fucking amazing, nice. right? How do we get in contact with him? I'm sure there are ways. And I think he he's uh, he... like really interested in all that as well. Yeah, yeah. How much do you think he charges in commissary to get him on the show? You think you think a fifty will do it? Fuck, I don't care. I'd pay it. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw fifty bucks in and get Joe Exotic on the show. That'd be crazy. That'd um, be oh my god. I like Joe Exotic. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't I don't like him. His character is fucked. Like that whole we watching even that thing of how we just like with the tigers and like kicking it out of the way and shit. It's just like such a crazy story. But like who knows what's coming? And you know, like I said, like um if you're someone that maybe fucking like doesn't know what we do by now at Strange Brew, like you don't need to fucking give a negative comment because you may not agree with what we're doing or whatever. I've been called so many things with stupid reviews of these guys have no intelligence. They're fucking not got no brains. You know what we're doing, right? We smoke weed, we drink, and we talk about true crime. We're shrimp friends. What? We're shrimp friends. We're idiots. Yeah, it's just like according to some people uh, that are probably far less intelligent than we are, and they like to sit there on like their Yelp reviews and comment. But for the people that do understand and enjoy this stuff, obviously five star reviews, man. Go pick up my book. It's called "I Didn't Kill Anybody." <laughs> Owned. Well, download it. Uh, yeah, I thought this was pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys got any final thoughts. Um, you know, he messaged me first. I talked to him for a day and I said, Hey, let's do this. Um, seems pretty interesting. And I kind of got what I expected. Uh, yeah. so it, it was obviously it's someone who is in the mindset of a gangster of a ex hitman, a killer, a convicted murderer. And it's not, through the eyes of the victims, as we said, we couldn't find much even on the victims, even to even say their names to say, Hey, these mm-hmm. are the people that he, he killed. You know I mean? Uh, you obviously have some, uh, condolences towards the families and what they went through, but they don't, ha- I, we couldn't find anything. So final thoughts. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like, like I said, I, I think there's this weird, um, he's probably in this weird position where, uh, it's a necessity, the life he's uh, basically caused himself to have now. It's a necessity to to continue with the Wild Bill thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe there is a small sliver of him that's like, fuck, I wish I could get out of this situation and do some different shit. Yeah. But again, when you're that deep into that hole of like that yeah. lifestyle, I don't know if somebody came to the door tomorrow and went, you know what? Here, you can just get out. Yeah. I don't know what his how... lifestyle would be like. He asked, he sent two more messages. Let's listen to them. I cannot believe that that thing lasted that long, that it didn't turn off. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. God bless, brother. And let me know, when, more or less, when will this show come out? When do you think it'll come out? Also, please, please, please put remember to put the book link and the Instagram and Facebook links up. Please, please, please. I... I feel like I should do it. I don't know his face. He probably so. should. Yeah. Um, I yeah, will do it for do him. It now. And he's gonna. He probably <laughs> will listen to this. And like I said, man, we don't know you personally. If you're watching this after the fact, um, we're only taking outside perspectives. And we're a show. Like if we're the people that know us too and stuff like that, we do something different. We're not gonna take the angle that everybody takes and stuff like that with anything we do. And that's why I do think that Stranger Podcast, even with the advent of like being Aaron included with 
within this year and Anton included the last two years. It's became what it is today. And I think that we are producing some of the best podcasts out there. I really do. And if people they are not hip to this yet and this is the first one you're listening to, we have a lot of stuff coming and there's a lot of stuff you can listen to already that's out there. But I feel like that we are growing as a brand, so to speak, into something that could be pretty incredible in the next, you know, five years. Crazy. Uh, again, yeah. Like, nuts. I don't know. I, I'm kind of like a little bit, I'm trying to like process the whole thing i don't know yeah. like there's a there's a weird part of me that's still like intrigued and fascinated by his character yeah. mm-hmm. um and it's got me thinking more like like you said anton about like you know people like joe exotic and there's these other like just yeah yeah um, true bizarre characters that i'm i'm kind of like fuck I, like, well I, this I could be even if they're more. larger yeah, yeah. than life personas and yeah. i would imagine that at certain points that persona has to take over even mm-hmm. for people that don't end up you know in a, in a violent or, or infamous way but end up famous like hunter thompson hunter thompson was a persona like the raul duke yeah. persona and it became so real that it became the only thing people came to see and he wouldn't disappoint that way so it's like yeah. at a certain point you would think that this this person that you've developed out of either necessity or out of you know trying to, to use it to get fame or, or make a brand for yourself or what have you like after a while that's just as real a personality as you know any, no for sure else. because you can you know you can have you can have a you know, a character in your mind and you play, like I've played characters in my life towards other people. You know what I mean? So I can understand if you've got to be in a setting where it's all about survival. Um, you know what? And for the people that are listening to, you know, this is why you support the Patreon because you might see a conversation come along where maybe we put it behind a paywall where we discuss some of these thoughts and ideas in more detail. And for the people that understand what we're doing that are actually paying for content to discuss some of these things that people might get offended by. Can you say that any more condescending? Offended. <laughs> I don't know why I went female, but yeah. Um... Pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys have got, but that was nuts. Uh, you know, just this came out of the blue, and within a week or two, we yeah, kind of threw together it together. So, um, you know, if you're interested by Wild Bill, I guess fucking go buy his book. Give him if he's if he you know he's yeah. I mean, absolutely, that's your thing. Yeah. You know, if you're interested, hey, like there's no there's no uh, sh- uh, shame in your game. Uh, no, buying a bu- I don't know, buying a book by a convicted murderer, but like people read shit about Jeffrey Dahmer. Look how fucking big that whole fucking series has got. And the fact that we're going to, like, we've talked about it by the time this comes out. If they've made it to this far in the episode, that, crazy. that's yeah, it's crazy shit. Well, I wanted to have definitely have like a, an outro towards this and our thoughts after the fact. So people can really hear, um, our opinions and stuff like that and how we felt about the conversation. But like yeah, I was, said, Patreon will probably come along for something like this. Very intriguing. And I'm glad we did this. This yeah. was. Yeah. And uh, Aaron, you guys need to close it off. I just want to say, yeah, for the fuckers support the Patreon again, I will fucking plug it because Halloween resurrection commentaries on both me and Aaron's Patreon. So oh, yeah. that shit's fucking fun as fuck to listen to. And we have Trick like, treat, motherfucker. we have that behind the scenes of the Halloween special. <laughs> we have like the, we have the full raw cuts of spectrophilia part one and part two, both parts had almost a half an hour cut from it. So there's a lot of stuff on the Patreon that people should definitely tune into. Cause it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Aaron, you got anything to say, boy? I concur. I, I don't know. I'm still a bit like... She's like just flabbergasted. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just... I don't know why it's so fascinating to me. I'm just like... It's so bizarre to talk to somebody that's fucking killed 
yeah. probably shit tons of people by the sound yeah. of things. Yeah. And just how I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know how I feel to be honest. Not not saying that I'm going like, oh, he's such a good guy or anything. No, no. I'm just kind of fascinated how like what it sounds like as a as a regular, somewhat unremarkable person mm. just goes on this landslide and it just fucking but the thing is, you think about situations like this and you, you expect it to be like, you know, some crazy dramatic thing as though it was a movie. And that's, you know, what what our, at least what my brain goes to is, is the, you know, the short version of it, the montage. But it's not. It's just that long, slippery slope of it just being like, yeah, no shit sandwich, shit sandwich, shit sandwich. And eventually, you know, it, it sounded like him in his mind. It, it did seem as though him killing that dude in self-defense was a good thing that happened to him. You know, because it yeah. sent him down that road. It made him all of the money, all of the women, all of the coke that the he was talking about. Now, like, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's easy to lament that, that when you're stuck in a Panamanian prison. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to lament that, but I don't think that. I don't know. I don't know if he would have. I would. I would love to know what he has to say about like if he would have wouldn't have gotten caught. Would that have changed? Would he have reached that road where he was tired of the excess? Because it sounds like he was also enjoying the excess while he was in that first prison. Yeah, and and I definitely got the vibe off him throughout the the conversation that he maybe felt like he was the nail, and then when he had the opportunity to become the hammer, that was like really enticing, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, and maybe yeah, part of the way he justifies it. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing, and that and that's why I was like kind of playing in my mind. I was playing a little bit of devil's advocate. I was like, mm-hmm. you have to. I was like, as fucked up as this is, I can kind of see where he's coming from. From what do you like, think I was doing? Situation. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna go into this. Like, and I said this to Chelsea. I was like, you know what? I'm giving the world full Thomas from now on. I was like, they get they get all of me, and I'm not gonna hold back because what's the fucking point? You only live once, and that's why I'm like doing these things differently. And I know the fans have probably seen a change in who I am and stuff like that. But like, I'm just coming at this at the angle that I want to do things. And I don't really give a fuck if people enjoy it. If there's like five people that want to be, uh, I'll be your cult leader. I'm down. Wow. <laughs> I actually want to say so when he was talking about like the pastor and like over the 157 people, I wanted to be like, so like a cult and like, but I didn't want to come across as being like, Oh, he's going to get mad at me if I say this <laughs> because religion to me in some forms is kind of a cult and well, it's just if, a bigger cult that's if all you think is. about all the cult leaders it was all backed by kind of some sort of religion at least like but charles manson but his religion was acid the almighty psychedelic that if you give it to enough people and you don't take it and you brainwash them using cia tactics because charles manson was an mk ultra victim uh you could see where it goes down a dark path <laughs> I w- yeah i want to i want to talk about that i keep i've shouted out the charles manson episode for for like two years but it will come eventually and the idea i want to do all in one but it's probably got to be a two-parter of like two hours each i'm sure aaron wants to come in on that episode yeah i'll that might talk be a- shit about him for as long as you like yeah that might, charlie's yeah. gonna be fun yeah that might be all four of us because i all ask billy like are you interested in doing this because that might that be like be. three hours each episode considering the banter uh but you know we love and appreciate the listeners that understand what we're trying to do and come out from a different perspective and i do believe the people that listen to stranger podcasts and even first class horror will understand where we're kind of coming from in the context of how we did this episode because it is just three fucking dudes all that are all best friends talking to a murderer and just been like and also have dark minds and being like 
and all had bad mental health at one point. Like, well, what? Uh, you know, and just asking random questions because that's really what it was. It was. Well, everybody's drawn to true crime for their own reasons, and, and the abnormal psychology has always been what fascinates me the most as to like what yeah. makes that person that yeah. person. Stay strange, fuckers. Yes, Aaron, what do you have to say? Thumbs up. I can come. That was a good episode. That's his new thing. God, who has got to be? People live the way they do if they knew their body was a vessel. The Illuminati plays you to work, consume, party, and never find about the extraterrestrials and the levels of reality. Fuck a salary if you got a sellout. You wanna battle me? I'll yell out shit before you think. While I know with the sword I swing. The words I speak are sure to bring thoughts to your head. The nerve of you to think that this is all in my head. You're murdering children? Enough said. When you see the present speaker hitting the words of a villain that loves death, his smile swerves your opinion to trust what he says. It's a giant joke to me. I ain't buying your hopes and dreams. You're an ant to a lion when your eyes open to see that you're alive and supposed to be. Try to leave, but I can't breathe. We only think we see, but our heads are filled with medicine. When you hear the screams of the leaves on the trees, that's the end, my friend. Tomcat. Tomcat. What a world.